Rachel Daly is a striker. The end. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports. She's got great passing range. She scores goals. She's great in the air. Brilliant in the air. Yeah. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. Half past seven on this Tuesday morning on OTBAM, brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. We've reached the halfway point of the World Cup in Qatar, in terms of games, not in terms of days. Really special treat for you on this Tuesday morning. Adrian Barry is alongside me. Morning, Adrian. How are things? Morning, How are you getting on? Keeping well, keeping well. Can't we haven't. believe it's halfway there. It's mad, isn't it? Same. That's, uh, it's, it, we've, we're now at the point where we have games... Two games at three o'clock, two games at seven o'clock as the group stages draw to a conclusion. How are you um how are you finding the whole thing so far? Like it's it's I don't think we've had you on or spoken to you much. No, since. I haven't been on. I haven't been on. Um so yeah, good, yeah, 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 yeah. I kinda spent the first few days watching everything that went. Yeah. Like every ball that was kicked. I was watching live matches in the background. Yeah. Um highlights, you know, consuming everything I could, and then I just thought this is uh not sustainable. It's too much. It's just too much. And also, I was saying just for Commander, like, I'm definitely the sort of person who consumes these tournaments in a way that, like, two days later somebody will go, oh, do you remember when Japan beat Germany there a few days ago? And I'm like, yeah. Daily. Some vague recollection of that. It's just, with that onslaught of constant games yeah. all the time, I just find it hard to keep on top of everything. I feel like oh, in your subconscious, then, you will remember it, those, those prize votes ah, for all time. You will. And when, the, when, when they're, the, the replay comes on and it takes split second and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sure, the crappy quiz last week, one of the questions I got right on, on my way to, to a victory was uh, who did France lose to in the opening game of the 2002 World Cup don't, and Senegal came to me mm. but don't ask me where did it came from you got it like a bullet in fairness like, that was a, it came from the subconscious very impressive but that'll be, a, that'll be a question the crappy quiz in 20 years time yeah. you know who did Ger- Germany lose yeah. to in the opening game yeah. Japan and people will remember it's been good and like the, the little upsets that have happened along the way definitely yeah. helped like I love it's the first one that happened I was like yes this is great it felt to me that was a landing of the World Cup yeah where these little sort of upsets have started to happen give me more yeah, the, exactly, the Asian yeah. teams and the African teams have kind of made it. Like, you know, the likes of Morocco, the Saudi Arabian result against Argentina. Argentina yeah. I mean, even like South Korea performing well as well. Like, Ecuador holding Netherlands. Like that's they're, they're all they're all uh, benchmarks for the World Cup that you need to have. Yeah. Now I will say I like to see that during the group stages, and then I like to for that to finish at that point. Really? Ah, yeah. I I think when you get to the latter stages of the World Cup, you need the better teams. The bigger teams. That's that's where I'm at. I, I, the upsets can stop there. Like I don't. The the Greece 2004 stuff is not really. You wouldn't like to see Morocco win the World Cup, no? I mean, no, 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 no. You want to see the best teams, don't you? Like that's the that's the. Like, look, if Morocco, what's your dream final on paper? Obviously, like um, disregarding the potential. Yeah, paths. yeah, yeah. The knock-ons. Um, at the minute, it's probably Brazil and France. Just the way that the way the tournament has gone so far, the form of Mbappe is just off the charts. He's what can you say about him that hasn't been said already? Uh, he's unbelievable. Yeah. Like in a way that, like, I'm not even sure from a club point of view or regular France games point of view, he's a very good player. But yeah. geez, we're just seeing, I think, uh, Mbappe next gen. At the yeah. minute, he's he's off the charts. So I think because he's so good, because France are going really well, they're always a really good team to watch. Anyway, they're without all those players. Would it be good for us? If France ended up winning the World Cup, I mean, it might not be, but maybe Some France are suggesting it would be, as in, like, a bit of a hangover for the Euro 2024 qualifiers. Oh, I don't no. really know if that exists. No, By the time they, those games come around in March, I mean, it's a different... No, it's proof that they're an unbelievable team if yeah. they win the World Cup, and that's that would be my biggest concern. What about you? Yeah, uh, like, 
I'd love to see the Dutch do a little bit of a run. Mm. People are kind of sleeping on the Dutch a little bit. Mm. I don't know, like they're, they're, there's not much talk about them, and they, they, they do have a very good team. Van Hal's an excellent manager. Cody Gakpo is playing really well, putting himself in the in the transfer window. I think for January. United. Well, like I mean, United are going to be linked with every they player. Are, every song. single player that comes up. Like yeah. Ener Valencia has probably been linked with United. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Any, any player who scores a World Cup goal is like, oh, he's going to United. Um, <laughs> but like, it's hard to know. I, I'd love to see. I'd love to see the Dutch do something. Um, Brazil were my shout at the start of the World Cup, unsurprisingly. I think most people had Brazil. Argentina, like they looked a lot better against Mexico mm-hmm. um, compared to the Saudi game, so I don't know. They, they'll probably come good as well. But yeah, England, England, France, I think, is a potential pairing in a, in a quarterfinal, mm-hmm. which, could be, which could be interesting. Be England, anybody, let's face it. That's, that's, you know, even tonight. Like, I mean, <laughs> they could, it, well, it's, yeah. it's such a shame that there isn't a bit more on it that the Welsh let us down a bit, but. Um, if the if if you know the the unlikely scenario that uh, if if Iran and um, Iran I should say to pronounce it absolutely Iran, properly of course. from the uh, press conference yesterday yeah. Iran uh, and uh, USA draw then then Wales are out and um, uh, sorry if they draw then they have to, they can win by four goals yeah to progress the next it's just it's all it's, very unlikely it's hashtag permutations day yeah. in the in the World Cups we've started so yeah that's that's probably the group B like England four points Iran Iran we going with Iran. Iran, Iran, yeah, three points. USA, two points. Wales, one. That's yeah, like England, obviously strongest position. So as you say, if they avoid a four-goal defeat against Wales today, they will qualify. Win will guarantee England top spot. If they draw and fit, they can still finish top unless Iran beat the United States. Ah, oh, look, there's too many. There's too many. I think it's England and the US to go through. Basically. Yeah, the USA Iran yeah, matches is fascinating. Like, yeah, even oh, just yeah. the whole off pitch stuff yeah. in, in advance of it and the. What the US removing the Islamic Republic symbol from the Iran flag and they put they put, did they did they remove it? I didn't see the image itself. Yeah, I don't, I don't there, know what there the, wasn't an Iran flag going around that had the word women or woman written across the middle of it in right. solidarity with women's rights in Iran, which yeah, was obviously yeah. a major talking point, um, which felt to me to be fairly legitimate. I think that was a monster flag that was in was in uh, one of, it was at one of the Iran games, um, and in fact I saw I was reading thing yesterday where there were where there's um, some Iranian women who've been going to some of the World Cup games are. Um, Concerned that there are spotters looking at the TV to find because you're not allowed to go to a game as a woman, right? In, Fran- in Iran, and uh, that they're concerned that there will be Jeez. action taken or whatever when they get home. So it was, uh, yeah, that's what you're dealing with, like I mean, yeah, madness. Um, that's probably the game I'm looking forward to most. I can't wait for Wales England as well. But the uh, I'm surprised that it took this long for a protester to invade the pitch. Like mm. during the Portugal Uruguay match, I had uh, fella ran on with I think it was he had the rainbow flag and and. Solidarity Ukraine, Ukraine. Ukraine on the front, and was it LGBTQ on the back? There was some. He, he had women's rights. Respect for Iranian women was another one of his. Messages. Right, okay. He was covering all the bases, of course. Yeah. But um, I, it, it, you need that again, like for a World Cup, Shane. Like it's funny because, like the, I've been to a couple of these, uh, the Euros, 2016, mm. and like when you get there, there is a sense of Disneyland about everything. There's <laughs> a smell of fresh paint everywhere you go. Like yeah, yeah. not even just around the stadiums, like the cities. Everywhere gets a lick of paint yeah. before these things come in, like <laughs> literally and, and exactly. Yeah. And like it's all this, like you know, the branding wrap is everywhere, and like it's on the buses, it's on the metros, it's obviously around the stadiums, it's in the city centre. <laughs> there is a feel of walking around Disneyland of these things. This one feels just a little bit different. That actually, that 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 uh, I was going to call him a streaker. The pitch invader, like, was kind of one of the first things we were like, oh, this is the sort of thing that happens at a World Cup. You know, mm. like it's been, it's been missing. I think a fair bit of that. Like you had the context. Remember, over the first, just before the tournament kicked off, you had all those weird things of these clearly non fans from the country that were supposed to be from. Yeah. Oh, you know, bizarre. Um, 
the English fans, yeah. you know, singing football's coming home in the wrong key was like, just, it was all a bit weird, like. That was bizarre. Um, so, and I don't know, it hasn't fully, and you're, you're watching from afar, obviously, and you're, mm. you're watching the coverage and you're trying to sort of figure out or interpret exactly what it's like on the ground. Um, and I'm just not, just not sure. Like I was like I was reading Dan McDonald had his first kind of postcard from oh, yeah. from Qatar yesterday in the Irish Independent and he was like he's very he's there a week and he said he's he's there for three more and he's still very much trying to gauge what he makes of the whole thing mm. and I think after another th- another three weeks everyone covering the the tournament will be still trying to figure out what's what is going on here because mm. like there's there's areas where there's holes in the ground and just the place just isn't ready mm. like the metro is probably the 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 big legacy thing to come out of this for for Doha probably because that was only built for the World Cup. This legacy stuff, I oh, well, can't there's, get there's on no board at all. It's like you know, surely London 2012 was the experience by which we all, after that, go. This yeah. legacy thing is a white elephant. It's just mix. It's of no significance at all. Yeah, yeah, and like, but even even the like, it will be. It will look. It will be interesting to see once the all the you know once we get down to the last sixteen. Obviously, you've lost a whole pile of teams out of it and yeah. then you're losing more teams as you go it certainly narrows the focus will we see more will the stadiums get a bit more full now or less full like I mean there's a been Brazil a match like, yesterday that's half that's, empty you know, like, and they've probably sold tickets they've probably sold whatever requirements um, but the, the half empty stadiums at the World Cup is not a great look like no. I mean you're watching that reeling in the years in 20 years time going what the hell was that all about yeah why are there empty seats at the World yeah. Cup doesn't make sense um, we did touch on the Portugal-Uruguay game Ronaldo oh, yeah. trying to steal Bruno Fernandes. What do you reckon? I mean, he didn't touch the ball, did he? Uh, Piers Morgan was tweeting uh, after the match. Uh, it's a good friend, of course. Cristiano Ronaldo saying uh, he, of uh, course, touched it and he shared a screen grab where it appeared to be flicking off a fibre of uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, hair. I mean, the ball didn't move. Very, very hard. Richie Sadler put it best on the, the panel last night that I've I've seen it where he where he analysed it and said. The if Ronaldo wasn't there, mm-hmm. his two take, takes were if Ronaldo wasn't there, keeper then the keeper would have come out and made an easy save. But also, he didn't touch the ball. Fair. It's actually impossible to tell. And I'll tell you how much how impossible it is to tell. If you look at the Irish Daily Mail this morning, right on the back page, it says "Pull the other Ron," right, and you've got a photograph here, and there's clearly you may not be able to see it there, but I can tell you a gap between right. the ball and his head, right. And the caption says, "Mind the gap." Ronaldo claims Portugal opener, but he didn't get a touch. That's the Irish Daily Mail back page. Yeah. Don't okay. go too far, right? Clear flick as mud. In, flick inside in the same paper, the inside page, and you've got a photograph of Ronaldo's forelock glancing <laughs> the touch of the ball there, right? I mean... And the caption says, close call, Ronaldo appears to get a touch, but the technology disagreed. So, I mean, that's, that, that's, it, in a, that's it in a nutshell. That kind but of but I have to say, I mean, you see, the thing is, it's hard to separate your, I really don't want it to be his goal yeah, from reality. which is most people's opinion. If that photograph is real and photographs can't be, it ball could be gone past him a little bit there and it looks like it's touching it, so it's really hard to tell. Uh, I heard somebody saying, there's only one person who knows whether he's touched the ball or not, and it's Ronaldo. And in my view, you just can't trust him. <laughs> fair. I mean, that's a fair point. And I mean, I thought the fact that he didn't run off and do his whole Sue celebration yeah. was an indicator or that the, maybe he was like, sleep celebration. Yeah, he didn't do either. So you're like, uh, he's not sure that he scored this goal. If he was in any way a class act, to borrow the expression, he wouldn't be walking off the pitch afterwards, going, "Oh, you know, touch me." Like you'd be, you know, you get all this nonsense about Ronaldo. Oh, he's a great leader. He's you know, amazing captain. Blah blah blah. Look, if I, he was walking off the pitch and he 
was all of those things. He wouldn't be going up to Fernandez, going, "Oh, it touched my head. It touched my goal." Yeah, he'd be going, "I'm delighted for you, man. You're like this is brilliant. The world stage." <laughs> Knowing, of course, still that the dubious goals committee would, would have to look at this thing. Of course, and decide. Dubious goals committee at the World Cup. I would imagine so. They're going to have to be because I mean, that, yeah. to score the World Cup is huge. Like as a as a striker in Sunday League football, later, and I can tell you, if I had done what Ronaldo did. I will be claiming Laying that goal. Down now, Shane, like, this is I mean, I mean, top level stuff here. Constantly dropping, uh, always dropping. of like Hannon. Yeah, Hannon got one goal in. Yeah, one Monaghan's goal. Damien seven says, one route of whoever. <laughs> Damien on uh, YouTube says the goal was scored by a Man U player, which is a fair point. Well, uh, not, like not technically true. Well, Bruno Fernandez Depending. is a Manchester United player. I know, but like Man- Manchester United uh, official Twitter account uh, did post after the game. Uh, two assists in the first game, two goals in this one. That's Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, it's, it's quite clearly a dig at, at Cristiano Ronaldo. But, yeah, I mean, I think it was his goal. Um, but, yeah, still, Portugal got the result and, and uh, mo- they moved on. So, uh, here's what's coming up between uh, now and 10am this morning on OTPM on this Tuesday morning. So, we'll have uh, Kevin Gaban joining myself and Adrian very shortly at around 7.50, live from Qatar with his uh, views on last night's games. And, of course, looking ahead to all the action today, Ian Corbett, the Limerick Joint Football Captain, will join us from around 10 past 8. Newcastle West with a, with a famous win in the Munster Club semi-final uh, last weekend. Tommy Rooney will be with us as well around 8, 8.35 this morning. Uh, the Football Pod had a really, really good uh, interview, an exclusive interview with the former Mayo boss James Horan some uh, some great stuff out of that interview so Johnny, Tommy will uh, bring us up to speed with that 8.50 the sports pages with John Duggan John will bring us his greatest World Cup 11 of his lifetime so the uh, best 11 players he feels that have played in a World Cup finals uh, the tournament that is in his lifetime so if you have any thoughts on your own have a think YouTube comment all the rest 10 past uh, 9 Adrian Mullen uh, last year's Kilkenny hurling captain uh, of course Bally Hill star as well will join us as well on the line and uh, from half past nine, Pat Nevin will be with us. Um, also, so that's uh, what's coming between us uh, now and 10am with myself and Adrian on OTB AM. Um, Adrian, you were watching the interview with, the latest interview Piers Morgan has done with um, Richard Keyes and Andy Gray, uh, two pals of his, yeah. um, with a lovely Qatari backdrop. You can see the, the sun on the sideline. There's a, a screen grab of it there for, uh, for people on, on the YouTube streams. Um, what did you make of this? Have you, seen, have you seen it all? I've seen a few clips from it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I found myself watching too much talk TV, to be honest with you, between the interview the other <laughs> week and uh, and last night. And he also had an interview appears uh, with the CEO of the uh, World Cup uh, beforehand, which just felt as it was kind of missing a few of the important questions. But yeah, I sort of flicked over that. I don't know. It's there's like there's a car crash nature to flicking on an interview like that. I think he's aware of that as well, Piers Morgan. Like mm-hmm. that, that there's a rubbernecker aspect to it. And I was definitely um, in that category last night just to see what the hell these two because like they've obviously I you don't consume too much of them anymore. They pop up every now and then on social media when they've said something absolutely outrageous on their um, on their channel and which is every week. Most weeks. Um, first TV interview in British media in 10 years, it was flagged up. This is, you know, this is going to be an extraordinary reveal. I kind of half expected it to be the full, you know, if he knocked 90 minutes out of Ronaldo, he'd surely knock an hour out of Keys and Gray. But no, I was left very disappointed in that front. It was How long was it? 15, 20 minutes, maybe something uh. like that. It was, um, they had to make room before Alexi Lalas came in to, uh, I didn't, I didn't hang around for that. I couldn't, uh, I'd had my fill at that point, but, um, 
it was it was uh, it was a bizarre one, and it was like why why have you decided to sit down with me now? It was the sort of opening gambit, and you kind of expected that to set the tone, and it kind of did because it was basically a bed of sand. It was like you know, well, we agree with a lot of what you have to say, Piers, and it wasn't you know this wasn't an own goal. You know, once you asked us to come in, were we definitely going to do it? You know, we had to give it some deep consideration, and it was like a pick around their lives, particularly around the time that they got sacked, obviously um, post their sexist comments and. Um, the mental anguish that they went through at that time and it seemed to particularly affect Andy Gray uh, very significantly and um, Keyes did say as well that he was uh, he was having struggles with his mental health at that time uh, there was clearly a big anger uh, Keyes was talking about you know I keep a back pocket full of anger for the un- un- unnamed people mm. who were clearly involved in this whole process when he um, when he departed. Um, and he retold all the detail around why he got sacked in the phone call uh, with the assistant referee the next day and, you know, how he had... I've heard the story, him tell the story about himself, reflecting amazingly on himself, about how, you know, they had not flagged up um, various mistakes that she had made in the first half of the game that they were that they were covering that day. Yeah. The fact that he's told that story in itself about uh, that I've seen about 20 times since, at least, like... Doesn't again sort of reflect amazingly, amazingly on the whole thing, and it's just as cringe. Ultimately, was the main takeaway. The retelling of all that stuff was just as cringe as it was when he did it about a week after um, he got he got the boot. So, yeah, I didn't reveal a huge amount. It was like you know, um, the both of them kind of saying, you know, we're not this caricature that we're portrayed to be, while coming across like mm. exactly every, all the perceptions that you have of them yeah just my main issue with them uh, it's probably the same with the Ronaldo one is that Piers Morgan is not a is not a journalist anymore if he ever once was I mean the, the, the opening question to Ronaldo kind of summed it up as well he's like what was that one? you know why are you here why why are you doing the interview and Ronaldo's like because I really 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 like you mm. Piers like I really like you too oh yeah he's like they did everything but hug and kiss and it was like I mean it kind of similar in the Keys Grey when it's like he's facilitating people to tell their side of the story without challenging anything mm. so there's no challenging questions from Piers Morgan mm. on any interviews anymore No. Um, so it's kind of yeah, it's, it's hard to stomach them. you'll still watch them as you say because sometimes the, the clips pop up in their box office and you're like mm. well I'm going to watch this Unfortunately, uh, you, yeah. can't, you can't help it. Well, I hope that that's uh, that's the last time I'm I'm drawn into that quarter. I, uh, you know, that, uh, Andy Gray. What what you know? Because so that comes up about the human rights abuses in in Qatar and their you know their their uh, treatment of women and gay people. Well, what could Qatar do better? Mm. More golf courses, guffaws, Andy Gray. It's like you know, just the lack of self awareness around that stuff is exactly, I think, why they're in the position they're in. Yeah. And you know, Keys, would you come back to the? Would you come back to British media if you if you got the opportunity? To which there's like a long pause and the very obvious answer afterwards that he would. But I mean, I'm just not sure that there'd be anybody there that'd be willing to take a gamble on on him at this stage of his life. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, if you haven't seen it. Don't bother. Don't bother. Yeah, it's only 15 minutes. You're not, you're not missing out. You've been, uh, I was going to say reading slash listening to Roddy Collins's autobiography. I have. I have. Recently enjoying it? Yeah, really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. I bought the audiobook. I'm not really a reader. See, I, I can't, I have to read a physical book. Do you? I can't listen. Like, even just, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights. I was like, if you're going to listen to any audiobook, it's going to be Matthew McConaughey's voice. But I, I had to read ah, it. Ah, no. Um, yeah, I got I, I got drawn into audiobooks with Sinead O'Connor's autobiography last year. Right. And, uh, and she read it, and I just thought, wow, that's... Uh, if that, and that is that is pretty much the benchmark because like, she reads extraordinarily well yeah, and fair. as does Roddy Collins and he's really authentic in terms of his delivery of it. Um, I believe uh, Kathleen was saying before he came in that he has said that he 
I didn't enjoy the whole process of of didn't want to do it of, of reading the reading the book. I'm right. delighted you did. I have to say it was re- it was the it wasn't the only reason I bought it, but it was definitely a big factor. It made it easy to just go ahead and do it. And I just can't find the time to read books um, with a busy household at home. So mm-hmm. I'm like, if I if I'm going to be able to uh, consume any books now these days, it's going to be audiobook. Yeah. But it's really good. Yeah, it's really good on his football, his life. It just paints multi uh, technicolor picture of. Uh, larger than life character like he's mm. an extraordinarily I bumped into him upstairs here he was in for an interview I think with Matt Cooper a couple of weeks ago I bumped into him upstairs wouldn't know him particularly well but there'd probably be an awareness or whatever I said oh Roddy how are you Adrian from from, uh, from off the ball at loan and he was straight in and he knew that he knew off the top of head and he was straight in and we had a great chat about Clontan oh. which who he's a great association with yeah, yeah. as he does with Monaghan but um he, you get a great sense of him. You get a great sense of his family. You get a great sense of his life in football. Um, it's just coming towards the end of the Carlisle days, where I'm about two thirds of the way through, and I wasn't aware there's there's a real depth of the telling of the story around the relationship between himself and John Courtney, who had um, bought Carlisle after a time when when mm. Roddy was managing there, which is the subject of the documentary, of course. <laughs> and I will I will on the, on the back of this go and watch that at some yeah, point. Yeah, so many good strands. I remember when Roddy took over Modern United first and um, he came into the club. I was kind of I was borderline on the Modern United under-19 squad at the time. Okay. And, of course, Modern United senior team were in the League of Ireland and he was kind of taking charge of the under-19s, you know, to see if there are certain amount of players that can come through. I remember the first training session where Roddy came down and he was trying to... Like, Terrible with names, trying to right. remember players' names. Pointed at me, and uh, I was up front. And he said, "I'm going to call you Ian Dowie." <laughs> wow! I mean, that's not that's not a compliment. And I knew any... straight away who Ian Dowie was, and I was like, "That is not a that is not, it's a, not compliment. a compliment." It's like front. getting called the carbon monoxide canary in the crappy quiz. <laughs> I was like, "I don't know which." I'd rather I'd go with the canary. I'd rather I'd rather be called the yeah. carbon monoxide canary he, than he, Ian Dowie. He has some great stories. There are some brilliant stories in it. Brilliant anecdotes, <laughs> and some of them clearly he's been telling he's been telling for years, and they're finally honed. There's one about he he goes to he he takes a few gigs in, in England at various points but one of the gigs he goes into and he doesn't know too many of the playing staff and he goes up to this uh, big lad and he's like you know listen you've got great physicality I'm looking for a player a bit like in the mould of myself who's looking to bully a few players a good strong number nine you know, can, nah, you know head the ball in the back of the net so listen I'm all in on you and the player sort of nodding and agreeing with him and he's like yeah fair enough and then Roddy goes back and um, looks at the sort of details of the playing staff and he'd been talking to the first choice goalkeeper who was just too polite to say to him listen I'm not, uh, that's not for me but there's great there's great detail do you know there's great detail around the Steve Collins um, world title fights right. stuff down in Mill Street his own journey from he was managing up the north at that time he'd get a chopper down to Farm 4 and then drive on up to Mill Street for the fight there's loads of <laughs> great detail around that sort of stuff the Tony Quinn stuff and all that that you'd never sorry I'd never I was never aware of before mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, I recommend it and Paul Howard needs a mention because he's obviously the one that's drawn all this out and I think um I would go and get it. It's a, whether you're going to get it in audiobook, which I do recommend, but whichever. The only thing you're missing in the audiobook is the pictures. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's nice to be able to give I it just a bit like of context, I like the right? smell of our new book. Do you? Yeah. Ah, well, this weirdo. is a whole other level of weirdness now. Just yeah, to say. Strange level of weirdness, but <laughs> yeah, just something about reading a book, I think, is, is good for the head. Yeah. Ah, the audiobook is good. If, you're, if you have oh, time in the car or on a walk or something, yeah. audiobook makes sense. Uh, 7.53 a.m. on this Tuesday morning's OTB a.m. Thanks to our partners at Gillette. We have a great prize to give away. Head over to our social channels for a chance to win a Gillette Labs heated razor. A great prize for you or the family this Christmas. Just nominate your heated moment of the weekend for your chance to win. Okay, live to guitar this morning and uh, Kevin Caban is with us. Morning, Kev, how are, how are you? Is it morning? It is morning over there. 
Oh, yes. It's too early. It's still early in the morning. Yeah, 10, what, 10.50 now. Morning, Shane. How's it going? Agent, how's it going? Kev, morning to you. Keeping well, keeping well. Uh, we've been we've been discussing Ronaldo's goal slash no goal last night, but um, I think it's Bruno Fernandes' goal, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I only, I only caught that on the TV, yeah. Um, oh, he looked it, didn't he? It didn't look like he got any well. You, you always look at the ball, don't you, when they slow it down and you can see some sort of change in the movement on the ball and it, it, it didn't change, did it? It, it was it was definitely Bruno Fernandes' goal. It looked like it anyway. 100%. That was, it was. How does your how does the remainder yeah. of your tournament shape up now, Kev, with the with the games? Like, how, how do you approach the, the last round of games? Yeah. Are you going to pick and choose which games you get to go to or how does it work? No, no, no. I'll be, be, be on every day now, every single day that the games are on now until the end of the tournament. So uh, last night I was able to get to watch Brazil. So I went and watched Brazil and Switzerland last night, which was great. Uh, and then now it'll be it'll be all studio apart from the Canada game. So we'll be doing the Canada game again. But they play Morocco in a couple of days' time. But every other day apart from that is we'll be tonight. We're doing the uh, yeah. I'm on the USA England game tonight and the uh, the Wales Iran game. We're doing that game as a set. No, that's not right, is it? It's <laughs> uh, England Wales. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. England Wales game tonight, and then we're the following night. I think we're on the earlier kickoff. So it's just kind of going to flip between the two. But we're just going to take two games. But we can obviously only because the, because of the two that's been played together. You're going to have to try to keep an eye on both games, which. It's not always ideal, actually, when you're trying to analyse the matches, but it'll, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll work out well. The uh, the England-Wales game, like, of course, England essentially one foot into the last 16 regardless, but it'll still yeah. tell us a little bit about where they're at in terms of performance, because the USA game was uh, it was surprising to some people. Um, I guess there was a, an expectation that England would maybe go, go and win that match and kind of go into the last game not needing much at all, but uh, USA mm. put it up to them. Yeah, they did. They did put it up to them, and I think I think you're right in saying it. It'll, it'll show us a little bit where England are in this game. Um, it's 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 what's he going to do? What what is Southgate going to do? You know, there was talk in the last couple of days, wasn't that he's going to bring Foden into the side? I, I mean, I was talking to the guys last night, talking to Joe, and I just said that, that you can't believe in that type of game against the US. If you've seen the US and how they play the high pressurized game that they that they do actually play. Um, it's in the wide areas where you've got to you've got to bring you've got to bring the better players in, and you would have thought that game especially would have been ideal for for Trent Alexander Arnold, but he, he clearly just doesn't want to play. And what, what's the point in putting him in the squad? What's the point in having him in there if you're not going to try to use your squad for certain games? And that would have been the ideal chance, I feel, but it wasn't to be in that one. Um, but I think it's right in saying let's see where they are because Wales have been. Dreadful, haven't they? In the two games, they've been awful. The US and, and Iran, they were so bad in both matches. Uh, so you expect England to go and maybe steamroll them a little bit. But I think you probably get a performance out of Wales in this one. I think there's going to be that little bit of rivalry. There's going to be that we have to get something. We've got to put it up to them. So it'll be interesting to see in this one how, how this game's going to flow. It was interesting, like I was uh, reading the back pages this morning and um, Gad Southgate was kind of asked in one of the press conferences about the famous slash infamous clip of, of Wales players from Euro 2016 celebrating Iceland's win over England and, and he, he was basically asked, yeah. was it a motivating factor? And he said, I couldn't say, we are aware of some of that. And Luke Shaw had said it, it, it wasn't nice. So like, I guess for England, you need little motivating tools like that to get up for a yeah. game against Wales? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I know I, we saw it the other day, didn't we, with Croatia and, and Canada when John Herbman had said what he'd said, F Croatia, and all of a sudden 
Croatia, we're in, we're in a bit of a hole. Dalic is under pressure. He's getting questioned on his team selection. And you use anything you can just to, to, to get you through it. And they did it. England will do it again. Um, I think we had done the same as Irish players, seeing England get beat against Iceland. I have to say that. I know I would have done. So it's it's just the way that it is. And I think if England can use anything, I'm sure if, if I was Southgate, I would I would have actually, I'd, I'd probably showed them the video again and I'd probably say, look, you know, these guys, the majority, or there's, there's quite a few that's still involved in, in, in the Wales squad that's going into this game. Just use it. Use one little thing that's going to give you that little bit of an edge in the match. Um, nice talk, by the way, Kev. It looks like you've sort of reached that point of the tournament where you're having to dip into the freebies. Do you know? Yeah, that's very true. But do you know what, Adrian? You always you'll you'll never come with a like you know a, a great point to start a conversation. <laughs> well, let me let me let like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, a, actually, I, I like you it. You just want to come in straight away. Well, yeah, I, no, it's fine. It's fine. But you just I didn't, say I didn't like just it. Come in with I just said it's one of the freebies never, that you know. I'm not talking about whether you like it or not. You're not you're not starting a conversation <laughs> with you know, Kev. Oh, I saw. You know, I saw Brazil the other day. You know, they were playing in a certain way. It was great to see them. What do you think of that? It's, it's to right. come in well, let's, with something, let's get into that. something so negative. Pre, pre-tournament, pre-tournament, you, uh, you, uh, I want to loop back to England, uh, Wells, but you've drawn me out now. Um, pre-tournament, you said that the US were brutal, that they weren't going anywhere fast, and they've obviously pulled off a draw against Wales and a draw against England. Uh, yeah. If it goes with odds, they'll, they'll get past the ranch day. Did I say, br- did I say brutal? Pro- progress with some version of that. So you're accepting, uh, you have to accept not, at some point not, here that not you, were, very good. you were wrong about that. Not very good. No, 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 not very good. Did I, what did I say about them? And I think Shane maybe even backed me up. I said they don't create chances. They've got a lot of energy in the team. Tyler Adams, top-class player. I could probably say he's maybe one of the best midfielders, if not the best midfielders of the tournament so far. But up front, they don't create chances. They've, they don't have a nine. Pulisic works hard, just doesn't do enough, in my opinion, up front. They just don't create chances. So they've got a lot of energy, and they, but they're missing. And I, that's what I said about the US. And I stand by that. I don't like them. I don't think they're a very good side. And uh, I think in the midfield, they've got, three very good midfield players certainly two in, in Adams and Moose that looked very very good but mm. no what, what, did, what did they create against England what did they really create against Wales they, they don't create chances that's the thing or a lot of chances so I think they're quite predictable in how they're going to play against against England England had to play Trent Alexander-Arnold they had to get the ball into wide areas because the, everything's through the centre everything it's high energy you know Pleasing on the eye, it'll be pleasing to a neutral like yourself, Adrian, that, that's never really played the game, you know, and doesn't understand. <laughs> it's only a matter of time, isn't it? Before that, <laughs> I have to agree on Musa. He's been he's been absolutely exceptional. Um, but and look, they'll probably go through. The the, the Adam, Adam, Adams is the one though, Adrian. I, I, I honestly, really? I, 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 I saw him play at Leipzig. It wasn't actually. It was actually for the US. In it was actually in the Canada game, probably going back eighteen months now. And I knew that. When I watched him, I thought, yeah, he's a, a really, really good player. And I saw him at Leipzig a good few times. Then it um, it really impressed me. And I thought, I thought they got a steal Leeds when they got him. I could not believe there was there wasn't maybe another. And, and it's not no disrespect to Leeds or anything, but I was so surprised that maybe even a Juventus or one of the top sides around the world, he might not necessarily have gone into a top four Premier League club, but I was surprised that one or two others didn't take them. And Jesse Marsh's relationship with him was obviously the influential factor there. But mm. uh, I think Leeds, Leeds got a steal when they got him in. I, I think he's absolutely outstanding footballer. Gareth Bale's been very disappointing, obviously, so far. And like any case to be made for Wales pulling off the impossible tonight in every regard is sort of hooked around him and performing well. And he's been yeah. so disappointing so far. Is he basically paying the price for been a couple of years in semi-retirement, Kev? Or what's your read on why he's been so sluggish? 
Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't rule that out. You know, if, I, if, if I'm picking my best Premier League eleven, Bale would would be in it at its best. I don't think there was anyone to touch him um, when he was at Spurs when he had that couple of years there. But people don't necessarily judge it as that. People would always judge it on the length of the career and things like that. And he's had an he has had an outstanding career. He probably had a four or five year spell in between Tottenham and then his first couple of years at, at Madrid, where he was just sensational. I just, I just used to love watching him. Uh, but he's well past that now, he is. And um, I think it's harsh to judge him at times because of the injuries as well that he's had mm. because he's never really been fit properly for probably about three years, maybe even four years at this stage. And when he when he turns up, when he plays, he's, he's still going to have his moments because of the ability that he has. But, um, I mean, even when he came over to the MLS, everyone was waiting in anticipation that he was going to do something. He just wasn't fit. He was never fit in any of the games. I think I, think I read before the tournament he played... I think it was 27 minutes or something like that. He's played 27 minutes of football since, I think, since September 18th or something like that. It's a really strange start on him. He just, he just doesn't play. He's on the bench for, he's on the bench for LAFC. He's not even getting a game in the MLS. So you know something's, something's not right with him. And it's hard for a player, no matter how good you are, to, to turn it off and on to, to all of a sudden in a World Cup, in those big games, to, to suddenly say I'm fit and ready for it, and you know I'm 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 at my peak condition, ready ready for for the big game. And I know Rob Page continuously says whatever happens, Gareth Bale is going to play, and he has to play him because he's Wales's best player, probably best player ever, one of the best, um, one of the best. You know, I heard Nathan talking about it being probably the best. You could put it up an argument, say the best British player ever because of what he's achieved, but. He, he can't turn it off and on and he's he's been seriously lacking in the last few years and I think that's just caught up with him. I really do think that, yeah. I suppose a lot of the narrative with England, Kev, has circled around Phil Foden and, I mean, I know Southgate has kind of spoken about needing to find the right formula to get him into the team and I understand that, but I mean, what, 20, 25 minutes against Iran, new sub against, against yeah. the United States, like, you're talking about best players, like, there's an argument that Foden is England's best player. It, it, do you yeah. not try and get him into the team in some way and build the formula, whatever that means, around them? Definitely, definitely have to get it. I, I couldn't even believe in the Iran game. I know they won six. I, I could not believe that when he started in his 11, like we, every, everyone's picking who the, what, which way they think Southgate's going to go. Is he going to go with the five? Is he going to go with the four? Whatever system he's going to use. But whichever system you feel England's going to play, we all had probably first, first man down was folding and everything else falls in around that. I thought he might have even started him in the... Um, in the second game against uh, against the US, I thought he'd have changed things up. Virtually every nation has made changes after the first game. France were brilliant, made two or three changes. Uh, Brazil were probably forced to make a change in fairness, but there was most of the teams made a couple of changes, and I, I think that's always the best way to do it because it's just it, it keeps everybody almost focused if, if you know what I mean now, how can, people might say why are you not focused at a World Cup it still comes down to it I want to play every game I want to play so if you're making those changes and you're, you're picking some of these other such talented players that England have and, you, and you're making two or three changes and putting them in everyone's had a game then or the best players have had a game going into the third game certainly when you approach the knockout uh, phase of the tournament so I, I, I couldn't believe he didn't even start him in one, one or the other match but he felt as though by sticking with the same eleven for the US game that was going to work. But I, I, as I said earlier on, I thought Trent Alexander-Arnold was was prime for that USA game. I think if if you watch the way the, the US play, everything narrow and things like this. But but Foden is the one player. He's 
he is he is England's best player. He's been probably right up there with the very best in the Premier League over the last couple of years. I think England's insistence and I think we, we saw it even going into the Euros or Southgate's insistence on on having that little bit of, of, of an approach is let's not concede. If we don't concede a goal, we'll be fine. But I think even Iran showed that with the chances that they had, even aside of the two goals that they scored, Iran had one or two chances where a straight ball got in behind Maguire and Stones. They are vulnerable to quick to quick transition uh, and I, I know that's maybe an argument to say why you won't play Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold but it was all it, with England in this group stage it's going to be about what you do when you have the ball get your best players into positions that's going to provide who's your best cross of the ball Alexander-Arnold who's your your most creative player Phil Foden and I, just, I can't believe not, no other nation none of the top nations would ever have it that you just don't play your best player. You, it, it just doesn't happen. Phil Foden would get into every single other side at this World Cup and so would Trent Alexander-Arnold. And Southgate approach at times, just, I, I don't know, it, it baffles me. It does. I just, I, I think he's almost hoping that the sides, or by keeping a clean sheet, he'll win a game 1-0 or he'll make sure that he just gets that result to get them over the line. And mm. I just feel England's going to fall short again come, come knockout stage against one of the best teams. We've got a we've got a message in here from from Anthony Ryan on YouTube, uh, lads. Could you ask Kev why strong, experienced teams like Uruguay can freeze and totally fail to turn up two matches in a row? Like, yeah. is there is there an element of this? Like, it's almost like the Olympic athlete. Like, it comes around at once every four years. So when it comes yeah. around, there's a serious bit of pressure on, and kind of you get kind of get that sense from Uruguay that they're putting a serious amount of pressure on themselves, and it's backfiring. Yeah, it's nervousness. No matter who you are, even even Neymar and the expectancy that's on him and Brazil, Messi. I mean, in fairness, Messi's been pretty. He has been pretty poor in the in the two games, but and that's largely been down to how sides have, have played up against him, the Saudis and Mexico. What they did up against him was just squeeze the life out of the game. More so, more so Saudi actually. Um, so the best players, if from from what I've seen, even what Morocco did in the, in the first game, I thought Mor- Morocco have been brilliant in the first two matches that they've played as well. And what they've done, they just squeezed the game out of uh, out of out of Croatia and Belgium. So sides are going to find it difficult. They're going to be nervous. They're going to be. There's going to be a, the expectancy that's on the shoulders when you play for, when you play for your country. And I've always said it, it's just totally different. It's totally different. You, you can get into a comfortable rhythm at your club. Go under the radar a bit, and again, even the big boys that's that's under scrutiny. That it's almost as if you can just you can just keep going. It just becomes natural, and that rhythm just goes in week to week. But there is always that, you know, the World Cup's coming around, or or a big international's coming around in three or four weeks' time. It's it's always in your mind. So when you meet up with the players, and this has almost become like uh, uh, the first game albeit it was a World Cup but they've only had four or five days six days to prepare and all, all the coaches are complaining about the lack of preparation time but that's what it's been it's just you go, you go straight into the games off the back of club football so the, the nervousness I'm, I'm sure it catches up with everyone no matter who they are and that and that um, that will not go away no matter who no matter who it is so if you've got the players around you that can that can settle each other down and you've got that togetherness yes that I'm, I'm certain that helps I know Mbappé's been been brilliant and he's had so much effect on this on this tournament, but I felt it affected him in the Euros. I think I felt as that that nervousness for a big tournament affected him. I think he maybe I think he's maybe learned from that a little bit. So um, yeah, I, I think that's fair to say. Uruguay were were dreadful, really. And I mean, I don't know what your thought about the penalty last night. And I, I know everyone's telling me about the the, the Fernandez thing, but I thought that 
when he brought Suarez on last night, Uruguay, Uruguay just was starting to go for it. They hit the post and he felt as though that there might be something for Uruguay late on in, in the match. But I was watching watching the game and I, it, was, it was no penalty, absolutely no penalty because there is no way that as uh, Fernandez goes past, goes past the player, he nutmegs him and he, he's falling over. That, that can never be handballed. There's no, there's no intention to it. He's not put his hand in an unnatural position. The referee shouldn't have been put in a position to go and make a call on that. Uh, so no penalty. Should have just gone with the on-field call because the referee saw exactly what had happened. Um, no penalty. Absolutely no penalty ever. That the, the, only, the, in, only case for, the only case for it is, and like, look, I was watching, I had caught the punditry on, I missed it on TSN, Shane, last night, but I caught the punditry on ITV. Then, no, they then, all thought it was a pen. I, I wasn't on. I no, wasn't no, on, I, Adrian. I, I, I would... Oh, did they? Did they? So, well, well, Joe Joe Cole on ITV, Joe Cole on ITV said, uh, you know, any football person, which is a, which is a a comment that when you start out with, you you know, (laughs) absolutely bonkers. Any football Ah, person is so condescending to begin with to his audience, apart from anyway, not the point. Uh, they all agreed that it wasn't a penalty and Stephen Kelly was the only one on the RT panel who said that he felt it was. He said, by the letter of the law, it's not, but I feel as if it was. And I have some sympathy for that because, like, look, yeah, I take no, the point, he, I, he, he's, where is he going to put his hand, right? But think about it a different way, right? When Fernandez puts the ball through, right, if if he d- if he it doesn't touch his hand, Fernandez through and goal. Mm. This, this is, it, it's, it's a huge grey area of the law, isn't it? That's, that's the problem. Mm. I think... I think is it is it I don't I don't even know the law is it law fourteen I don't know I should know it but um, the, the law states they talk about intent in, in as well unnatural position and mm. things like this but I think I think they talk about intent and it still comes down to which is a lot of garbage because we're not seeing how many times as a player when he's stopping a shot that's two yards away from him and he's just putting his hands out hits his hand to get the penalty not, how can that be intentional There's no chance it can be he's just trying to he's just reacting to someone that's shooting so. It, that in that if in that respect it should never have been given. But I, I know what Stephen's saying. I, I think this one is it, we've probably never really seen this type of its kind before. So it's up, football, the game will always throw up this type of scenario where we're going. Oh, we've never seen that type of thing before. But in my opinion, it should never have been given. But I understand what Stephen's saying because mm-hmm. you know, as I say, it's, it's denying that goal scoring opportunity. Could the could the Uruguay defenders have got back into shape to try to to block him? It looked like he was going through on it, but. There was no way in a million years that, that the Uruguay defender could have done anything differently. He, you know, he, it wasn't unnatural. He was just literally going for the challenge. He was done with a lovely bit of skill uh, with a little nutmeg. So how could he have done anything different? He should not. I, I'm feeling that what I'm seeing in, in the tournament, I think there's some bad decisions. And, and I go back to the Harry Maguire incident in the Iran game. You remember the Harry Maguire incident where he was kind of rugby tackled by the Iran player? And it was a clear penalty. There's clearer penalties you're going to give. It wasn't sent for a review. And then the Iran player in uh, in later on in the match that had his shirt tugged, was it Stones? I think it was. I'm not too sure whoever it was. Had the, had his shirt tugged. And probably it was, it was definitely a way less incident or way less less of a foul than, than Maguire. But they give the penalty. And I think that Maguire set the tone for what referees are saying. I think there was maybe something that was mentioned to say, look, we can't be getting these sort of decisions wrong. We'll review everything. And there's been a couple, the Ronaldo one the other night as well, Ronaldo's fallen over. There was one in the Qatar game, the Qatar match where, you know, there was a slight touch. It was a slight touch on the calf. The guy's just fallen backwards. It's not a pen. Just because there's contact in the penalty area doesn't necessarily mean it's a penalty. So, 
I think I think there have been mistaken in the judgment now, maybe down to what was said around that Maguire penalty, and so that's what goes back to that one. I I, I can't see it, Adrian. I, I I don't think it's a penalty, and I don't think the referee was helped, and I don't think the referees have been helped by who's in the VAR booth because they're they're asking the referee to review it, and when you're asked to review it, you're almost you second guess yourself and. You feel as though you have to you have to overturn the decision that you, that you've made on the pitch. Uh, just finally, Kev, before we let you go, um, Messi to Inter Miami is being discussed and talked about potentially, whether it's after the World Cup or maybe yeah. uh, towards the summer. Uh, this would be the highlight of Messi's career, wouldn't it? Being managed by by the great Phil Neville. By the great Phil Neville, I know it's going to be. Um, they've been talking for a long time. I think his his family live in Miami, don't they? I think his dad and uh, or he has a place in Miami, so he's been talked about for a long time, but. He's going to be joining, uh, going to be joining Miami. There's probably only three clubs that probably would have taken him, and Miami would have been one of those. So, yeah, uh, I think it'd be great for the league. It will be. I just like, I'd like to have maybe seen him play, try to win a Champions League for another two seasons. Maybe just play at that real top elite level for another couple of years in Europe before that move would have taken place. He's not young. He's got a lot of miles on the clock as well, and I think we're, we're maybe even seeing that now. Um, I think the teammates that he's got around him at PSG is certainly helping him, helping him maybe to, to reach the level that he's been at. We we saw it at Barcelona even last season. He, he it was a bit of a struggle for him at times because of the position that Barcelona were in. So it might be a good time to go and enjoy his football for the last few years again. Um, I think there'll be less pressure on him. I think he will um, he will certainly be less recognisable. I think certainly playing in Miami. Than he will be anywhere else in the world. So I think it, I think it'd be good for him uh, if he wants that sort of quieter lifestyle because the league is um, is very very different from uh, from anywhere else in Europe. Yeah, he'd be playing alongside a former Republic of Ireland underage international. Who's that? We we thrown out to our uh, our MLS expert the one person that we could get in the line that would know an MLS squad inside out. Chain. He's throwing you under the bus here, Kev. Oh, yeah, I like a great, great football that? person like that? like Kev is going to know this one off the top of his. Who's that? A link. Well, he, well, he, he, Gonzalo Higuain just—he he announced he's like retiring. No, he's not a former international Higuain. No, I'm just talking about the squad. There, you're doing a Nathan Murphy on it now. You're spooling through the information you know, which is no relevance to the yeah. answer whatsoever. Yeah. Who? No, I'm asking. I, I ask you the question. Links, the links question, to the manager. Oh, his son. Yeah, Phil's son, of course. Yeah, Harvey. Yeah, should, yeah. Harvey Neville. Oh yeah. Did yeah. He one appearance yeah. had he one or nineteen something like that. Kev, football, yeah, football man Adrian Barry came out with this one this morning. Football man, yeah. That's, football. That's you can, you can read all you can read all the stats you want. <laughs> uh, the ultimate, <laughs> the yeah. ultimate insult. Kev, great stuff as always. <laughs> we check in across the next couple of days, Kev. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Cheers, lads. Come on, good luck. Kevin Gaban there, of course, on the line live from Qatar. Uh, we'll be with Kev, of course, as I said, across the next couple of days. Coming in from uh, from Dennis Ryan. Is noted Sunday league striker Shane still hopeful for Fred as possible player of the tournament? Interesting take. Well, Dennis, I did not say Fred would be player of the tournament. I, in fact, said Casemiro will be player of the tournament. Oh. So that was You're saying thing. that with a smugness that suggests well, that that might still happen. I mean, I mean it could do. That was a good been, goal yesterday. He's been pretty good. He's been pretty good in every game. He was very good. Did he mean game. that goal yesterday? I know it took its slight deflection on the way in. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just feel like he's... Uh, look, if Richarlison keeps banging in the goals, he'll be player of the tournament if Brazil win the tournament. But, yeah, I think... There was a great moment on the on the big screen during the Brazil game. R9, Ronaldo pops up on the big screen. Oh, and pulls to the fan with the, with the 2002 Ronaldo haircut. Him and uh, Roberto Carlos sat down... 
Class. Like mopping their brows, watching yeah. the game. Unreal. Nice, nice life. Uh, 17 minutes past eight on uh, this Tuesday morning's OTB AM. Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. The festive season is officially here, so why not enjoy a shot of gingerbread goodness in your Brayburn Coffee today, available at Apple Green locations nationwide. Now, after this very short break, we'll be joined by the Joint Limerick Senior Football Captain, Ian Corbett, fresh from Newcastle West, qualifying for their very first Munster final since 1987. Back in a sec. OTB AM 18 minutes past 8 on this Tuesday morning's OTB AM with myself and Adrian delighted to say the Limerick Joint Senior Football Captain Ian Corbett joins us on the line now this morning Morning Ian, how are things? Morning lads, how are you? Keeping well, we're keeping well, thanks for joining us um, Big weekend, last weekend for Newcastle West, your club uh, Famous victory, so it uh, had to go to extra time against Clonmel Commercials but any win against a team of that calibre, I mean you're going to take it Yeah, look, it was a great day for the club Um I suppose for the last few years, kind of this group, uh, we've had a few near misses in Munster Club. Uh, we lost the two eventual winners in the first round. Um, so it was great to get over the line. Like we knew how good Tom Milwar after their performance against Nemo, but uh, we went up there with plenty of belief and thankfully we got over the line. Uh, just about, but we got over the line anyway. So, as I said, first Limerick side to reach the Munster Senior Football Final in 14 years. Uh, and, of course, you'll contest the, the Munster Final for the first time since 87. So it's Kerry's, Karen's O'Reilly's on Saturday, 11th of December. Um, so nice nice handy one in the final for you too, Ian. <laughs> I don't think any team that comes out of Kerry is going to be handy. Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's a very tough task again. Um, but every team in this competition, in all the provincial competitions, are look, they're county champions for a reason. They're going to be good sides, so... It's a tough test, uh, but one we're looking forward to. Like a, it strikes me, Newcastle West, um, so decent-sized catchment area, I suppose, Ian, for, for people unfamiliar with the club. But uh, when you won that first senior club with, with, the, with the, the club in 2015, it was your first since 1992 as a club, uh, like, would you have been seen as underachievers, given the size of the town, or would that have been seen as a, as a, as a relatively normal gap? Um... Well, I think we've only six one in the club's history. Um, I don't know, I suppose, being the big town in Limerick, we kind of have that uh, mentality of being townies and a bit soft. Uh, we'd be known to kind of get on each other's back uh, in years gone by, but um, thankfully that's kind of changed the last few years. Uh, we lad come down from Donegal and coaches, uh, Anton McFadden in 2015, he kind of changed the whole mindset of the club. And I suppose even since he's left, the players that were involved have kind of continued that and fellas are coming in now, young lads coming in and they're buying into that mindset, I suppose. What do you mean get it, uh, get on just back, Ian? You mean like within the club? No, just on the field and I suppose like someone might do something silly and get a red card. So we'd be kind of, it would have always been said if, if you bring Newcastle down the stretch in a tight game, they'll probably lose it themselves rather than you having to beat them. Um, and we did that in plenty of games and we've done it a few times since but we've definitely got it's something we've improved at Did you like sit down as a group and address it? Um, I, I just think we weren't we weren't hard enough on ourselves um, kind of when I was starting off um, we look for soft excuses rather than looking at ourselves um, ultimately we're the ones on the field you can blame management coaches I suppose the committee if things weren't provided but all them things were always provided um, we were always well looked after uh, so we just had to really Look at ourselves, and if we were losing games, it was probably down to us. Is that is that stuff? Because I'm sure there's plenty of club players at all levels, at all sports around the country, listening in now and sort of wondering wh- how do you get from where you were to where you're at? Like, is it is it an easy fix? Is it like a deep cultural thing? Does it take a bit of time? 
Uh, I wouldn't say it's easy. Like we we really really trained hard. Um, Anton would have been involved with that Donegal team in 2012, and I think he brought a lot of that training down. Like we were out running in the field, like when there was no lights, it was pitch dark, and you could just see someone in a high vis jacket at a line, and you'd run to that line and back. Um, so it's just real. I suppose we really worked hard and we knew we had that in the bank. So when games were in the melting pot, we knew we had that work done and that kind of brought us over the line. And I think even in the last few years, it's something we've even improved further. Uh, we've become we've become pretty good at winning tight games or just about surviving. And the last two games, we'd kick a, we'd kick a score with the last kick of the game to get to extra time. Um, so it's, it's definitely a strength of the team. That's definitely a, a positive to take in. You feel like... Uh, and even I, I remember you speaking before about the the 2015 Munster quarterfinal against Clonmel again, where you're four points up with with five minutes left, uh, and then you squander that lead, and Clonmel go on to win the Munster championship. Like, you know, I, I'm sure you're not thinking about it directly when you're in normal time or in injury time at the weekend, but to go from that back in 2015 to dominating the stakes in injury time and the scoring when when it really mattered uh, last weekend must be quite nice when you think back to the disappointment of of seven years ago, for example. Yeah, uh, look, that was that was a tough day to take. We had the game won probably, um, and we just let it slip. And that was probably experience. It was our first time. First, everyone on the field that day from our club, anyway, it was our first provincial game with the club. Um, and I suppose we just froze coming down the home stretch. Um, it was a bit different the weekend. We were the ones coming from behind and had to get the last gas equaliser. Um, but I suppose we just knew. I suppose going into the game that no matter how far ahead we got. Clamel could just turn it on. They did that just before half time. We were kind of we were kind of comfortable. We were up three points and they got one two in about three minutes. Um but we responded well to that. Got a score before half time and got the first score after half time. It was nearly like a World Cup match at the end. It was like five minutes of out of time and then another three after that. It was like uh, they were they were pulling from nowhere and you weren't complaining too much, uh, obviously, when Rowan O'Connor, O'Connor kicked the equaliser. Were you aware of the clock? Like given the context of everything you've just been talking about, were you aware of the clock? We Thinking about it, were you talking um, about it? Yeah, like we got a chance just before that. Uh, Emmett got through and uh, it just dropped short. And I knew there was about a minute left and Clamel went down the field and we got a turnover. And then I suppose they were kind of just just stop him. So they ended up getting two black cards and there was kind of, the ref was dealing with a few things. So kind of, I knew it was gone over the five, but mm. I knew there was still time to be added. The ref probably might have allowed maybe an extra minute or so, but I suppose we were in there 45 kind of probing for that score and that's the way football is in hurling. You're always kind of going to get that last attack. Uh, The minute we kicked the shot wide or got turned over, that was it. Uh, And thankfully, Ruan popped up in front of the goals and kicked it over. Uh, The club, Ian itself, Newcastle West, like, is it... um as Limerick is very much becoming a dual county as at the moment. I think last year was the first year both the football and hurling teams have been in the the Munster final for for quite some time, uh, decades in fact. Um, like when you when you're starting off with the you know under sevens, under eights, and on a Saturday morning or whatever with with Newcastle West, are, are you playing both? Did you pick one? Was it what, what was the the scenario in the club and and what's it like today? Um, you play both, yeah, the whole way up. Um, both groups are usually kind of trained by the same people. You might have one or two different coaches in for hurling or football. We've about 14 dual players. Um, right. So we've a big crossover and that was very difficult during the early parts of the year because um, Limerick plays plays a lot of games. Like we had five group games of football and the hurlers had seven group games, championship games. Like 
So that was really tough on the lads, but we've the same manager over Hurling football, so Jimmy managed that well. Um, yeah, and I suppose in Newcastle anyway, there'll definitely be a big emphasis on both football and hurling. I'm, I'm looking at the the, the team, and, and um, I guess at club level, you need those. Well, you need the young lads coming through, but you need the wily veterans as well. And and uh, Mike McMahon comes to mind, like one three man of the match in the county final. Um, that like I know he turned thirty seven quite recently as well. So you look at players like that. I'm sure Ian, on, the, on the team, and you're thinking that's why you need lads at club level to maybe give that extra year or two if they have it because. I mean, you can't buy experience. Yeah, I, I think Mike's the only one on the team that was would have been at the 87 months of the final. Um, so he might tell us a few <laughs> tales about that over the next two weeks. Um, yeah, look, Mike's an incredible athlete. Uh, a dual player, again, like played probably nine or ten weeks in a row of championship games. And I don't think Mike will be finished this year, probably not next year. Um, he just he just loves the club. His family is ingrained in the club. The McMahons would be a well-known name around Newcastle. And... Uh, Mike will definitely play for as long as he's proving useful and he's definitely proven useful this year so far. I've seen it with my own club as well where you, you, have, you have lads like that who are big target men and tall and can catch can catch a high ball. Strikes me like the mark, the attacking mark might have been something that maybe, I mean, went right up Mike's alley because that, that sort of rule coming in just makes him a, a dominant force. Yeah, look, I suppose to be realistic about it, there's probably not many men Mike Max size playing club football. Um probably gives us a real outlet. Um, but I suppose it kind of works both ways. Teams put such an emphasis on stopping Mike, maybe having a sweeper, possibly two at times, that it allows the space around the middle for, I suppose, the runners around the middle to get through and create chances um, when teams are preoccupied with Mike. And we, we had Billy Lee on the on, on the show um uh, you know, since his since his tenure ended with Limerick, and and to look a fascinating character and someone who's done so much as you as you well know for for Limerick football, you've got Ray Dempsey coming on board now this year, and and look the links were fairly strong with between it was between himself and Kevin McStay, I guess, for that Mayo gig. But a uh, lot of people have a lot of good things to say about Ray Dempsey when it comes to to coaching. And um, have you had had many dealings with him so far, Ian, or or how's that been? Because clearly yeah, there's an like, excitement um, there. We've had I've had. I've spoke to Ray a few times. Um, to be fair to him, he's kind of letting letting the few Newcastle lads that are involved with Limerick focus on the club at the moment. He's put no pressure on us. Uh, so I suppose we're thankful for that. Look, it was a good appointment by the county board. Um, anyone that is right in the mix for the Mayo job is obviously going to have strong credentials. Um, and I suppose, look, it'll be up to Ray, his management team and the players to build on the good work that Billy has done over the past six years. Does it, um, like, uh, just looking at sort of recent Munster finals, Ian, like the Drumcollar Broadford 15 years ago, you've Monolene, um, I think maybe since that, but it's not often that Limerick teams are getting to the Munster final. Is that, is that a factor for you or is it just, that's it and we'll, we'll think about that another day, but for now we need to get, get about the business of trying to win one. Yeah, look, I suppose we'll get a certain amount of praise for reaching the Munster final, but we're in a final to win it. Um, That'll be the focus of the group um, for the next two weeks. Um, who knows when we'll get another chance to play in a final. Some of us might never get another chance to play in a club final, so we have to make the most of the opportunity while we're there. Just on Limerick generally, um, I wondered, like on the face of it, given the size of the county, the population, you would think that they should be more regularly up in the higher echelons of um, of football in the country and obviously promotion uh, promotion this year, and that, that I'm sure will help. Is it the competitiveness between like the rugby it's obviously uh, the city is a big um, soccer town uh, the hurling obviously coming on over the last few years is that the 
reason that that Limerick are not more regularly up amongst the Division One teams or in the mix towards the end of the championship? Or what's your take on um, how they how they might given given what you've been talking to us a little bit earlier on about obviously how you've managed to advance things on the club level? How Limerick might advance more on the intercounty scene? Um, I think a lot of it is probably from underage. Unfortunately, Limerick have no schools playing Cornyvory, and they had an amalgamation there for a few years and it was giving young lads the opportunity to play football at the highest level. But I don't know who decided it, but they decided that amalgamations weren't allowed and there's probably no school on its own in Limerick strong enough. But I suppose when we're competing with the Corks, Kerry's, I think Clamell have a school in it, Flannins are in it. Like I suppose it's just us in Waterford that don't have schools competing at that level. You see it in Limerick with the Hurling. Uh, for a few years, there was three or four schools playing Harty Cup. Um, so I suppose that kind of puts massive emphasis then on the academy. And I suppose underage, then you have kids trying to play soccer, rugby, hurling football. Um, but I think it's something that's definitely improved. We're seeing lads coming through from the academy that have the strength and conditioning work done. And where when I started, I'd have had very little strength and conditioning done prior to playing senior football. Uh, but thankfully, that's kind of changing and lads are more prepared rather than needing the two or three years to get ready for inter-county football. That stuff in the schools is mad. Isn't that like that's uh, yeah, should be the foundation like basis for for everything? I suppose like it is disappointing. Um, I suppose the GA should probably be doing more. That if Limerick don't have a school strong enough, they should be allowed to join three or four schools. Um, I think I could be wrong that um, the Waterford Colleges a few years ago had some amalgamation and it was kind of an all star team and maybe five or six of them have ended up with all stars and. I suppose the powers that be, the traditional schools probably didn't like that and it affected all the amalgamations. Like It'd be so beneficial for 20 lads from Limerick to be playing uh, Kearney Worry, but unfortunately at the moment that isn't the case anyway. I'm looking at the uh, the uh, Division 2 teams set for, for next year in the in the league, uh, Ian. And, uh, so yourself and Lowe, yourselves and Lowe, of course, promoted from Division 3. You had the Dubs and Kildare relegated from Division 1 to 2. And then you have Clare, Cork, Derry and Meath uh, already there as, as established uh, Division 1 teams at this stage. Nice handy start for you as well. You're, you're away to Derry in the opening game and then you have uh, the Dubs coming down to Limerick. So uh, some decent fixtures to look forward to in Division 2. Yeah, um, I think whoever's in the fixtures committee didn't really look after it too well. But look, we're going to have to play them at some stage. Um, two massive games like for Dublin to be coming down to Limerick, I suppose. We'll draw a massive crowd. It'll give kids the opportunity to see the likes of Brian Fint and Kieran Kilkenny. We saw that the weekend. There was Fossa were playing a junior Munster club game and it's it sold out out in Castleman. Um So it's great for the kids of Limerick to see these superstars, all-stars uh, coming to Limerick and playing against the Limerick lads and you can only promote football in the county. I know you're, you're, you're a Garda base down in, uh, in, in Cairn South Tip but uh, the um, it struck me, I remember you, uh, in an interview, interview you did before where you are talking about covering the I think it was maybe Tip and Cork playing in Turles and Seppa Stadium um, in a in a hurling match, and uh, you know you're on duty, and then the following week you're you're playing a match. So like, if, if anything, almost personifies and and uh, typifies the the amateur ethos and nature of the GEA. It's something like that, where you're on duty as a guard at a, at a big match, and then the following week you're playing. Like it, it must it must feel strange at times. Yeah, um, I suppose. Look, it's it's the choice of the job. Um, you need a few extra guards around Turles for the big Munster hurling games. Um, I was up there working. And then the following week, you're seeing the guards around Clarny doing the same thing that I was doing the week previously uh, in preparation for the football final. 
I know lads' heads probably get wrecked walking around. Like even I'm thinking of yourselves before the the monster final last last season. I mean, is it easier for yourself when you're based in somewhere like Care, where it's a hurling stronghold, that maybe you don't get the head wrecked as much with people asking questions about, oh, how's the prep for Kerry going this weekend? Um, yeah, I suppose. Look, most people I work with probably wouldn't. Well, people I work with obviously know I play football for Limerick, but the people you're interacting and dealing with don't like. Um, Look, I suppose anyone that comes up asking you questions is probably coming from a good spot, but I suppose you can get sick of repeating the same. And so you're giving them cliche answers anyway, so <laughs> they're not going to get a whole pile from speaking to you. But um, I suppose it all comes from a good place. Absolutely. Uh, listen, Ian, uh, great stuff and uh, really appreciate your time this morning. So Saturday 11th of December, you have the Munster uh, football final against Kerry's, Karen's O'Reilly's with uh, with yourselves in Newcastle West. So very best of luck and uh, I'm sure we'll check in after you've uh, you've got the silverware secured. Cheers, lads. Thanks, William. Good man. At 8.34am uh, on this uh, Tuesday morning's OTBAM, we're delighted to have our own Tommy Rooney live on the line this morning. Morning, Tommy. How are things? Morning, Shane. How are you, Adrian? Tommy. Keeping well. Tommy Rooney, of course, of Good. the Football Pod. And Tommy, you've had, a, you've had a big one this week on the Football Pod. We've had a long season, Shane. We're 44 episodes in, as Paddy Andrews keeps reminding me. Is this the last one? Is this the last one? Yeah, Paddy, this is the last one. And James Horan joined us for his first interview since he stepped down as Mayo boss in June. So, um, great to get James on. Uh, delighted that he joined us for an hour. He was formerly this parish. He, he did quite a bit of his Adrian and off the ball. The last time that he stepped down back in 2014, he said back then that the tank was empty. Um, he obviously came back for a second stint as Mayo boss. Shane, he's, um, he's had a huge influence over Mayo in the last 12 years. Will I bring you a, a snippet or two from the piece? Please do. This almost nearly didn't happen for Mayo and James Horan. He's 38 years old back in 2010. He was not the favourite to get the Mayo job. There were seven names thrown into the hat. Mick O'Dwyer had actually put himself forward at the time. But after a bit of a backlash in the Mayo people, he stepped back and he did one more year in Wicklow before he finished up as an intercounty manager. Tommy Lyons, the former Dublin manager, was the hot favourite. But on the night, it was a dramatic night itself. I said it could be a documentary and the night Horan was appointed. He's named as boss. Um, but Mayo football is at a low ebb and it nearly got worse a few months later in his first championship game. London bring them to extra time. They just about scrape over the line. And have a listen to this. It's a couple of weeks after that. Listen to what a county board official said though. You go back to um, our, the first championship game, go, went to extra time with London and got out by the skin of our teeth and, and there was people hissing at us after that game and we had to walk through the beer tent to get to the bus and I tell you, I thought, I thought we were going to be stoned. I, I, I really did. So uh, look, we, 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 we got out of that but it's just to your point, Tommy, just belief and everything else was just so, so, it was so shaky then, you know. We played, think, played Galway a few weeks later, we are four points down at half time against Galway in the next round. And uh, met an official, I won't say who it was, who was telling me that this doesn't go well, you're gone, pal. Yeah. Um, Jesus. So, yeah, yeah, look, these, 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 you know, you know, so it would have been the quickest intercounty manager in career <laughs> of all time. But that, but, but everyone was rattled and, you know, it was that kind of funny in, in the dressing room halftime, four points down, everything rattled. We just knew we were going to win that game where, where things were, you know, for, for whatever combination of reasons, you know, and we just, just, just kicked on and every every training session, every day, every chat, every conversation got a little bit bit more together or a bit more belief and it just it built from there, you know. Jesus. I mean 
Now people love their football, but can you imagine the it's pressure just, in a game like that? And like that's classic county ball carry on. It's classic GA carry on, isn't it? Like I mean, I know, I know. that the London story. He's he chatted about. People are aware that he, you know, it nearly came asunder, yeah. right? But like at the same time, that you don't need. What's this like busybody getting involved with it? I, I just think that that sometimes is, is what has to be dealt with in, in some in some counties, Crazy you know. Um, and we we do our best lads to try and chart that kind of journey that that Horn had with Mayo as manager because, like, you take it for granted now that Mayo are in the in the mix every year, mm. but for the four seasons before that, it just they had won five championship games, you know, before mm. Horn took charge, and after that, they get to in his eight years in charge, they get to seven All Ireland semi finals. You know, there's obviously four All-Ireland final defeats in 12 and 13 and 20 and 21. So we might just get to a little bit of that. So we can was, he, back was Tommy, was it was it Holmes and Canelli and then Horn? No, it was James Horn from 20, September 2010 to the end of 2014. Holmes and Canelli come in then for one year. They bring Mayo to an All-Ireland semi-final, a replay against Dublin. They lose that, played good football that year. And Holmes and Canelli uh, leave or are... You know, I don't know what the right word is there. It, like, there was a meeting between the players and 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 management yeah. and the county board, and they left anyways. And Stephen Rashford came in then for two years, and we obviously had the epic All Ireland final replay in sixteen, and then the can I say even more epic twenty seventeen final at the Dubs win by a point, and then twenty eighteen things don't go to plan. Kildare beat them um, under Rashford in that Newbridge or Nowhere game. And Horn returns then for 2019. So they win a National League title in 2019. And then there's the mad transition where six or seven main Mayo players retire. There's seven debutants given out that that uh, COVID championship in October against Leitrim. They get to an All-Ireland final, they lose to Dublin. Again in 21, they get back to an All-Ireland final. And this is where things start to go wrong. And we get into that. And there's a quite a good exchange between Paddy Anders and James Horn in the chat. Well worth listening to. And we can have a listen to a snippet here. And it's Paddy asking James about how quickly things turn sour. I couldn't get over it, James. And, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. We, we did a show in this season, a live football pod show. And you'd obviously had a, a really, really difficult league final. The, the, the crowd, the male supporters were, were probably not behind. They were questioning the team. They were questioning you, James. What was what was that like to manage? There seemed to be a disconnect this year between between the fans, between the media, and between the team. Yeah, yeah. I look, there's no no question about it. The last the, the last couple of seasons have been difficult. I I think there was lots of stuff, lots of stuff going on. Um, you, you know, after the Tyrone defeat, you know, where we beat you guys and we're the world's best and everything is is unbelievable. And we go out, you know, three weeks or whatever later and we don't do it and we're the world's worst. And I, I suppose there was where, 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 where things were and maybe we, there was... You know, over time, there was so much expectation and everything else that we'd finally beaten Dublin and championship, and it's only a matter of time. You know, Tyrone were a bad team. You know, that beat South Kerry in the semi-final. You know, so it wasn't we were just going to rock up and 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 win it. But but that final definitely changed 
people's perception. Yeah, that, that was that was a turning point, Tommy, wasn't it? You can kind of tell from James's voice that he knows it as well. Yeah, and it, it's clear listening to the to the t- chat chain that things do change. So um, it was interesting to hear that because we definitely felt that that night in Castle Bear, like we were all a little bit taken back that. God, we didn't realise how bad things were in the county at that time. So um, that's really interesting to hear that. So look, there's loads in the interview. He sat down with us for an hour. And, um, you know, there's bits and pieces about growing up in New Zealand and, you know, the influence of the All Blacks and that I've had in them. And, you know, uh, a bit of a debate about males forwards and maybe the lack of scoring forwards. James didn't necessarily agree with some parts of it and other parts he did. Um, And yeah. There's a, lot, there's a lot in it. So, so that, that question is often posed. Mayo don't have the forwards and they don't have the, the six Killian O'Connors in the team to win in All-Ireland. It's often thrown at them. So Horan disagrees? I don't think six Killian O'Connors <laughs> would work either, Shane. You couldn't well, have six Manzies, could you? Yeah. With six, Someone I mean, of that you level. You six Conor McManus. Maybe, you probably yeah. could have six I'd take it. I'd certainly take it, yeah. Three and a half back line, three and a full forward line. <laughs> um, so like Horan and Paddy, have, there's a bit of a back and forth between how close Mayo came to beating the Dubs. And uh, I won't give you the answer, but the lad's settling on an answer about what went wrong. Mm. Um, but, you know, in Kerry, they, they have an ability to sort of regen their corner forwards and, and produce a Mike Frank Russell and then a Colin Cooper and then a James O'Donoghue throwing a Paul Ganey, a Kieran O'Leary, a Barry John Kane, David Clifford appears. They have corner forwards coming out of the woodwork, left, right and centre. Lads that'll leave a sit in the bench and come on and kick points regardless and that's always been thrown at Mayo but as James Horan says who is the top scorer in championship football history you know Killian O'Connor is and they have the footballers they just can't seem to get them all together at the same time you know Tommy Conroy Ron O'Donoghue having those injuries um, and yeah like that's that's just that's just where they're at I'm um, I'm halfway through, Tommy. I'm saving the uh, second half for later on today, so um, you can spoil it. Give me the spoiler if you want. But when, uh, sorry, are we going to uh, see James Horan three and when? That I'm not sure. You'll have to try and pick up on the nuances of his own answer from that. Surely we will. He's still a young man. He's got all this experience in the bank. Like with any managerial career, right at that level where it's so intense. Mm. they're competing year in year out the spotlight like you've said is on them 24-7 mm. so there's like it heightens everything right yeah, and, and, and like you, you just don't you don't see the Brian Cody Mickey Hart style longevity it just doesn't happen because of all those factors I don't think anymore right mm. so what happens is it comes in and obviously it's the time for him to go now and let somebody else have a crack at it and let Max Day do what he can do and then time passes and players change and they develop and they mature and there's a new playing pot and there's a freshness and suddenly, it's time to get him back in again. New cycle. I almost feel like, you know when people say, who'd be a manager? Who'd be a GEA manager? Who'd be an inter-county manager today? Well, it's hard to have a... But who'd be the male manager? Now, talk about the most pressured job in the country. I know, but 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 the flip side it's of that is... Highly sought after, though. It, it is. Well, well you, you, you get the job done, and your statue in the main street in every single town in Mayo is yeah, but if you don't, If you don't, you're the worst in the world. As as James was that was after that league final. I don't know. I think I actually think that in the in I think that Mayo fans have come to realise over the last four or five years that actually what they've done is amazing. Like I know that I know, I know that in the context of losing an All Ireland final or a semi final or whatever, obviously you couldn't be anything but disappointed. But I think at the cold light of day, they would say they've punched unbelievably well over the last few years. Mm. That was the interesting no, I think, one. I think I think you're I think there's definitely a cohort one thousand percent, and usually. 
uh, you know, it's it's those who protest who are possibly louder than others. But there was a feeling this year that it just things weren't right. And I don't know whether it was accumulation stuff and you you kind of get that sense from listening to the interview that perhaps there was a couple of different factors that, that played into that. But like Mayo, there's no doubt about it. They are absolutely um, maniacal about their football. They are mad about it. They love it. And the intensity of interest in the games and there means that it's just there's an extra added pressure to that job. And like, what is success? And I know that's a bit of a rhetorical question. No, I agree. They just haven't, you know, they I, I, haven't done it. Yeah, like, but like, you can't be absolutist, I don't think, in, in, kind of titles. in the GA. I don't think you can be absolutist because, like, otherwise everything else is just a disaster if you don't win it. Think of the, Think of the journey all those Mayo fans have been on for the last 12 years. Amazing. Imagine all the people that have been brought together. Imagine the people that have come home, that have been away, that come home to watch matches. Like, there is something else going on here. And maybe, I don't know whether they've lost sight of that a little bit, and they're just sick of it, and they see Galway rocking up once every so often, and Mm -hmm. out of nowhere, getting to an All-Ireland final and nearly getting the job done, or back in 98, actually going and doing it. I think if they could bank one. Oh, do you know what I mean? Then, to win then, just then once. they can appreciate exactly, the rest. to win just once. I think. Do you know what they could? I do think that. But like, I, I, I get what you're saying about the journey. If like, as a Monaghan fan, if I had been on the journey, Mayo fans have been on. I'd, I'd be delighted. Yeah. What a journey! Yeah. But I don't you've know had, if I don't know if Mayo a fans. Decade. It was a decent decade, but I don't know if Mayo fans look at it like that anymore. They're like, how, how many times can you drive east to Croker, to Croker and drive west? Got it. Like you, you, there's only one. But on, 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 on the day you're you're gutted, you're totally disappointed. But I think in the round, I take Tommy's point entirely. That I think in the round they're like, Jesus, unbelievable! This is an unbelievable train ride to be on. There's almost almost enough. no other county in the country that's on this train. But they need the train yeah. to pull into paradise at some point. I do. No, I, I mean, that, I don't know. I, I almost feel like you, Tommy. You're, you're obviously when you list off that you'll collect titles and national leagues and all that's great, but. There's only one trophy that matters now for Mayo, surely. The National well, League. <laughs> the National League, yeah. They got that National League, they got their hands on it. Yeah, look, time will tell Shane whether, you know, we'll, we'll get an answer to that this year or whether Kevin McStay can be the man to get them over the line. But do, you, do, you think, do, just, do you think he is? I haven't started doing my power rankings yet for next year. <laughs> Go on, give us a quick, quick, quick fire top three or four there. I can't as even we, remember. As we sit, come on. I can't even remember the, the amount of counties in the country at the minute. Um, Take a picture Mayo. in Dublin, Kerry, Mayo. Give us an order there. I mean, maybe Mayo, Mayo aren't even third. Well, like, Sean O'Shea's free changes everything. Mm. Kerry are now on the cusp of, you know, becoming a great side. That's that's what we have in our hands here. Like, they have got the monkey off their back. They've got number one with such a young profile of a team. They're going to be hungry to come back and do it again. They're on their team holiday, I think, next week. Mm. Um, the dubs are back, of course. The dubs will be back. You'd imagine there'll be a couple of counties in Ulster coming back with a vengeance. You know, will Tyrone be back? Will Armagh be back to prove that they're much more than everyone's second favourite team, mm. that they actually have something in them? Mayo you know, could have slipped. Well. You're, year, you're making a case here for Mayo. Hardly been in the top 10. Lads, go where the other runners up. Mayo have lost possibly their their most explosive player too in, in Oshin Mullen yeah. so you know it's going to be a very interesting year the, the one thing about next year lads the inter-county season especially in football is going to be absolutely bananas between Talchon Cup and All-Ireland Championship there's going to be an insane amount of games it's going to be like a bloody World Cup for six months <laughs> and I'm putting it that to you and you, you won't realise till May and you'll be like 
He says, Tommy was right. Yeah, we'll, be, we'll play this clip back. Cut, Bring uh, back the club. Before Bring we move on from the, the um, James Horn interview, Tommy, uh, a fascinating one, and obviously people can, can uh, watch and listen back to the, the whole thing to get all the insight, but he's a really interesting background as well, James, like raised in New Zealand. Yeah, there's, there's, we get into all of that. Like, I, I kind of heard snippets of that before, but never heard him really talk about it in depth. Yeah. Um, you know, th- that's interesting, Shane. I'm not going to give that away. Of so course. You can listen back to that. Um, and, uh, you know, we ask him, does he want to get back into coaching? And he does basketball. He wants to coach right. in basketball. So maybe, Adrian, that answers your question about whether he will come back someday because, um, you know, he said the tank was empty back in 2014. You'd imagine how many years did it take to refuel the tank then? Is he talking about like the kids basketball or getting involved at a kids, level? Kids basketball at the yeah. minute, but you never know. He, he can work himself back up. We'll see. He'd definitely be back in. There's absolutely no question about it. He could end, even end up going off doing another gig somewhere else, couldn't he? And no, he flat out refused to well, manage another county. Andy McEntee was saying the same to us when he was in studio. There's no point listening to the interview now. I've given it all away. <laughs> That's the, How no, can people, no. uh, genuinely tell me, the, so the podcast is up and the YouTube is due to be up today. Is that the, the schedule? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the podcast there. So go Dropping. search for the football pod. Um, and if you haven't subscribed already, do because we'll be back in early January with our 2023 season. So you can get it in the football pod feed, or you can get it in OTB GA, where you'll get all the other good stuff from off the ball, um, all our other GA. So just search for that, and you'll find it, and it's well worth a listen. While we have you, Tommy, um, bit of a mad weekend in the club football championship last weekend, and yes. some some shocking results and surprise results, which we love to see. A bit like the World Cup, yes. as you said. Um, what stood out for you? Yeah. It, it, Cracking weekend of football. Um, myself and Will Callan, I think, are going to be power ranking the eight teams that are left and looking at the provincial finals tomorrow on the club championship show. So, a um, couple of things like you, you had Ian Corbett on there. Finally, we have a Newcastle fairy tale that can we, we can all get behind without feeling morally corrupt. Like it's brilliant to see that. Um, what a win! They had an unbelievable win. Like I would have had Clonmel commercials as possibly my third favourites. You know. For the All-Ireland title, you would have had either Kilcour or Glenn, you would have had Kilmichael Croaks or the Downs. And then, you know, I would have had Clamell up there, you know. Molly Cullen are obviously very strong in Galway too. So, very interesting couple of weeks ahead in the Provincial Championships. Newcastle West are up against Cairns or Rahilly. So, first one was the, the Limerick Football fairy tale. Number two is the crazy club commitments that are paying off, lads. And um starting to feel a bit of Catholic guilt about this at the minute. But, like, Peter Cook flying home this weekend for Mike Cullen. He's over in New York at the minute. Karen's O'Reilly brought Gavin O'Brien home from New York. He kicked a couple of points. And Jack Savage and Cormac Coffey came back from Dubai. And they've been moving back and forth over the last couple of months. They contributed seven points of Karen's O'Reilly's 1-9. So, the Strand Road, uh, they got their money's worth of the lads this week. So, that was something else. And then, up in Ulster, we have a, a heavyweight clash that... It's the one we're looking for. Cargan were so close to pulling off an upset against Glenn. They pushed Maliki Rockside all the way. Kilku, their form has, once they've emerged out of down, has once again become imperious. So that is going to be a cracking final as well in the Ulster. So look, there there were the moments that stood out. You know, I, I know Corbett mentioned the sold-out Fossa-Castle-Mahan game. That was pretty good to see a, a Munster email coming through on Saturday morning. Don't go to this game. No tickets left. So when that's happening... It just shows you the health of the club championships up and down the country. Just one more while, while you're on that, like the Kilku one, like Kilku demolished Derry Gunley, I think it was in the in the Ulster club final. Enniskillen Gales. Enniskillen Gales. Sorry. Oh, sorry, last year, last year, last yeah, year, yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. It? And, and and like I, I look at this Glen team and what Malachy Rourke. Look, I'm a Malachy Rourke super fan anyway, given what he's done with modern football. But uh, like he took over Glen, 
who had never won a Derry Senior Championship. I stand corrected on that, and, and he wins it. Uh, wins it again this year. Like that, that Glen team. I cannot wait for this Ulster final because Kilku have been very dominant again in Ulster this year in terms of the the uh, the results. Uh, I know they beat uh, Jerome Johnston's Ballybay, of course, which was a bit controversial as well. In Jerome stepping aside for that game, but Glenn, if they can beat Kilku this weekend, can can definitely mount an All Ireland push. Oh, the winners in Ulster are absolutely in the mix, and like you have to look at the last year's final, Kilmco Cross and Kilku. It's hard to look beyond the two of them in terms of how strong they were last year and the credentials they've illustrated so far but they'll both have a, a tough challenge with the Downs and their wall um, over them in, in, in Leinster and then Kilku and Glen. you're right Shane Maliki Rourke feels like he's been the secret sauce over in Glen. they had unbelievable underage teams they were coming they were knocking on the door they were having titanic battles with Schlock Neal and they just weren't getting over the line two things happened Maliki Rourke took over Conor Glass came home and you saw the performance of Conor Glass at the weekend I don't know if you saw the highlights last night last night lads but um, he, he took a, a serious amount of abuse kicked at a couple of unbelievable points and he's just his year has just gone from strength to strength he's been so impressive um, so that is going to be a cracking game of football um, it's going to be fireworks the, I love the Leinster decision which looks like they're going to flip the order of the games um, on Sunday you are conflicted I'm not that conflicted I'm not that conflicted I mean sorry surely you're, maybe, you're yeah. rooting for I'm just delighted for well the I, there was no conflict <laughs> when when the Downs were playing Ratolls I can tell you that Tommy I was delighted to see any Westmead team get one over on uh, on the Mead boys who are you going for in, in great this stuff. Um, like I I am probably going for Crocs to be fair they are they are. Uh, I'm down there um, down there every week that's it's not like I've no connection to the Downs at all other than their uh, county team of mine so, letting go like, of your own county no it's not but it's not the, you would like if it was an, if it was if you were if you joined a Dublin club well I play I, I'm, I'm I'm living in Smithfield now, but if Scotts Town or Bally Bay, who aren't my club in Monaghan, were playing the local club there, I'd, I'd go for the Monaghan. No, but not if you were involved in the club. So I'm a proud if you were involved man. in the local club, that's that's. I think Adrian could have a point. I think deep down, if your neighbours had beaten you in a county final and they were going into the provincial final, you turn up, you turn up in in support, but you know secretly you'd be going, Jesus Christ. Hope no, because <laughs> exactly. you want to do it. You want to like, get the job. It, it's though. not like, and also the downs are not like. If it was Gary Castle or Lomans, I would have no. I'd give you an answer straight away. I'd be on the Crokes bandwagon. There'd be no bother to me. <laughs> but uh, the downs are kind of not like that. But I ah, know. Look, you have to turn up. Come here. The, they looks like they're going to um, flip the order to make room for Brian Chee, which I think is a great decision. Who'll probably yeah. play the full hurling match and then maybe come off the bench with the full. I think it's brilliant and it's uniquely GA and absolutely when when the the uh, cap needs to be doffed, let's do it. But on the football side, Tommy, what what is your expectation here? Like, the the only thought that I'm having about it is that like the 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 conversations that happened about Crokes being, um, you know, the Man City of GA are just such nonsense when you look at how tight most of the games that they've played over the last couple of years have been. But not the Port Arlington game uh, in the last round where they put up a bit of a big score. Is that a point or two? something to come for Crokes that there's a bit more cohesion that they could start to rack up bigger scores or a bit of one-off and it could be tied against the Downs I think I think it will be tighter than the Port Arlington game and I, I think I think the Downs the Downs are in bonus territory in ways but they are going to be going for this like when you say Chemical Crokes only win games by a point or two a good chunk of that is because of their style of play and the manner in which they set up the Dublin Championship is always going to be uh, very, very tight. But like, similar to how Kilku got on, they only edged over the line and they let loose a little bit when they got into the Provincial Series. Um, 
it's hard to call what that's going to be like, Adrian. Like mm. the downs are going to be so well set up. They've got a super boss in charge, Larwall, who was over Gail Collin killing Mead for eight years. Very nearly got them over the line in Mead, brought them from a essentially an intermediate club to being on the cusp of winning a senior championship. So um, they're going to be well set up. It's going to be a good game. It's hard to look past Crokes when you've got two lads like Rory O'Carroll and Craig Diaz as your rock, as your core. And then you've got, you throw in Shane Watch and the, the numerous other Crokes forwards, the numerous other Crokes players that have been on the cusp of the Dublin panel and, and possibly just haven't made it. You've got such a strong intercounty cohort there. So um, they are a bit of a super club, but I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm not, but I'm not saying that in a bad way. They are. They're, they're in a very impressive outfit. Not, it should be taken in a No, but it's not meant. To, the word super club is never meant as a compliment. Oh, they're a super club. They're a mighty club. Super, comma, club. Mighty, okay. Shane is mighty the one mighty club. I'll take that, yeah. <laughs> I'd agree with that. Tommy, great stuff this morning. Thanks a million. Thanks, lads. Matt Cheers. Tom. Talk soon. Tommy Rooney of the Football Podcast Course. And as uh, Tommy said, the, the exclusive James Horan interview, you can get it in the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on the YouTube channel as well. Time to say a very good morning at 8.58 um, on this Tuesday morning. John Duggan. Morning, John. Shane and Adrian, how's the form, lads? Keep it well. We've got a, we've got a message in here. Um, can we all just stop this anti-English bias and grow up as a country and support them? I actually agree with that. I think I think there's there's too much of it <laughs> that we on on days where they're playing different teams, we don't actually take it seriously, <laughs> and we focus too much on the on the rivalries with other countries. I think we should support our English. We're only over the water, Adrian and, and John. I've actually got a pair of socks. With me today, I don't know if I can stretch. Colin was asking me before the show. Watch the hammies there now. This could leg up. I don't know. Yeah. So we've got the we've got Welsh the socks. Well, Welsh socks. we might leave it there. I don't know if there's anything. It looks like something out of the Stone Roses. Shane. I do actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just uh, I just wanted to get give the bucket hat. But are Wales fools gold? That's the question. Well, they're they're pretty much gone, essentially, aren't they, John? It's it's like a it's all over. It's all over. I think it's, it's all over. It's nice to be there. It's great to be there for Wales, but no, it's all over for them. England will. They're they're very reliant on a player who's been in semi-retirement for a couple of years yeah he's uh, enjoyed his golf the <laughs> last golf. years and look he's a very committed Welsh man and he's a Spurs legend but um, I'm more interested in what England do this evening to be honest is he going to play Phil Foden because mm. Phil Foden is the best player in that England squad and I, I can't really get my head around the fact that he hasn't played him you, got, you have to assume that so he's have, he must be having conversation with Phil Foden behind the scenes right like they're not sort of walking past each other in the corridor and like you know nodding a wink and on they go there, must, there has to be conversations there and you have to assume that some of that is, listen, you are part of my plans, here's what I'm going to do with you. Like, Gareth Southgate is planning, unlike how we would be looking at a tournament, mm. which is, can we just get past the group stages and <laughs> see what happens? Yeah. He's planning to get to the final, so, I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be that surprised to see um, Foden play a big part tonight, for example. There's a comment in from, from Cal Doherty on that, on the YouTube lads. Is there a world where Foden gets continually left out, and by the time they actually need him, it'll be such a clutch moment that you can't expect to put that much pressure on him? Well, Gareth Southgate's talking about people putting pressure on him, but he's putting pressure on him by not playing him, <laughs> in a way, in, in my opinion. Mm. And, uh, look, I do think the group stage can be overrated because uh, you've had teams before, like Italy in 82, not play well in a group stage and win the World Cup, and you've had other teams that have been sensational and not won, like the Dutch in 74. Even Italy in 1990 didn't concede a goal until the semi-final. They got beaten on penalties. So um, it is a long tournament. It's hard to win it. Uh, not every team goes through it, like Brazil in 1970 or Brazil even in 2002. Uh, so I, I'm, I wouldn't be too hung up about it if, if England just get through it in a perfunctory manner. But you've you got to start building momentum in the last 16. And 
Um, to me, uh, the performance against uh, USA was worrying. Um, and also, you'd have to think on the basis of what we've seen so far, folks, that Brazil, France, Spain, Portugal are probably ahead of them at the moment. And in some ways, no matter what happens tonight, right? Like, Wales are not one of the elite nations. No. So if they beat them 4-0, it'd be like, well, they're kind of crap anyway. And if it's close, I mean, England are going through either way. So what sort of an impact does that have on... Like, it's very, it's very hard to make any conclusions even post tonight. It'll really only be the last 16 before we get a proper true. sense. Uh, see, everyone's so fickle. It's game by game. Like, if England, I think if England do win 4-0 tonight and play really well, all of a sudden everyone's like... Oh, well, the England fans will be, yeah. Yeah, and the media, of course. Like, yeah. But all it takes is one performance. Like, after the Iran game, everyone's like, this is a really exciting team. I know it's only Iran, uh, with all due respect to Iran, uh, but England played so well. Mm-hmm. And the USA game was a bit disappointing. Like, I know it's, it's as we've been saying this morning, France potentially in the quarterfinal. You, you need momentum to get going at a, a tournament. So England got momentum at the last year by beating Germany. And they'll need to, well, Ecuador, I, th- I think, are bloody good. Mm. And uh, if Ecuador play England in the last 16, that won't be straightforward. But if they do end up meeting France, they're need to going to take a scalp of a, of a France. Um, and it, it looks like it could be Portugal, Croatia at that side of the draw as well. At the moment, it's looking potentially like Spain, Brazil in the quarters and Argentina, Netherlands. But there will be shocks along the way. Brazil, John, you, you're kind of... Tip, did you tip Brazil before the tournament? Richardson certainly was your top goal scorer. No, Brazil Egg. were... I, I classified them as bankers. Yeah. Which is the kind of thing I would say. Do you say. stand by that? Well, you see, it's always, they always do that kind of thing because if it, if it ever does come to pass that I can go and play the tape on Twitter and say, like, you, know, you know how... <laughs> Rear you know, on the phone. You know, you know how uh, certain I was of this thing that actually then did happen. But um, I was very impressed with them defensively. They haven't conceded a shot on target in their opening two games. And they're able to go into another gear um, because they haven't played that well in the first half of their two matches, but they're able to up it a, a, a gear or two. And uh, I thought we, see, we saw that yesterday against a very organised Swiss team. So, But once again, it's hard to win World Cups. They could end up in a penalty shootout with Spain and get knocked out in the quarterfinals or lose to Ghana on penalties in the, in the last 16. You don't know, but I wouldn't be swapping my bet for anybody else at this stage. First team in Brazil to go 17 games unbeaten in the World Cup group stage, which is quite remarkable when you think about it as well. Norway, the last team to beat them in 1998. There you go. Like, um, you might just quickly bring us up to date, John, on, on what's happening in the World Cup today. Uh, well... As I said, Wales have to win against England at 7 o'clock. And the other game of that group is really the one I think a lot of us will be watching, USA-Iran. A lot of controversy before the match with Carlos Quiroz uh, talking about um, gun violence in America. And then the Iranian journalists being quite uh, hostile almost to Tyler Adams in their line of questioning. I don't think it was a great decision for the USA to remove the Islamic emblem from the uh, Iranian flag in a, in a tweet there, which they subsequently took down and uh, their manager apologised for it yesterday because that's just going to fan the flames. Um, but that'll be a fascinating game and Iran are a point ahead of the USA at the moment in that group. So that's Group B, 7 o'clock matches. The other game's 3 o'clock. We finished the 10 o'clock matches. So uh, the Netherlands, because of that 2-0 win over Senegal, with Qatar out of the competition, you'd have to think they're probably going to top the group and Ecuador just need a draw against Senegal to go through as well as that's what's going on today. Um, apart from that, Robbie Henshaw out to the new year with a wrist injury. And uh, that's disappointing for him. Racing punches ten today, eleven forty-five. Uh, Tiger Woods out of his own tournament this week. The Hero World Challenge. He's got a foot injury, but it's all about Qatar. And obviously, we saw that protester last night. Mm. Um, and, and there's a huge geopolitical element to this, which isn't going away. So, I don't know what you lads have made of the tournament so far, whether you've enjoyed it or not. But um, 
I think it's quite an open World Cup. Yeah, I've I've I've, I've enjoyed the football. Um, obviously, there's there is the dark cloud that hangs over it all, and you kind of feel guilty every time you you sit there and enjoy it because you remember what's what's happening behind the scenes here. Um, but we're at the halfway point now in terms of in terms of football matches played. So I think we're starting to see. I think after two group games, we we said we'll we'll start to see a shape develop uh, and teams come through. But I mean. Teams can start to emerge. When we get to the last 16 in the quarterfinals and penalty shootouts start happening and there's a little bit of jeopardy and big teams are getting knocked out, that's when the real excitement starts, I think, football-wise. John, you've been, you've been busy, though, because you've been picking your, your best World Cup eleven of your lifetime. So I, this, don't, I don't think it's my lifetime. It, sorry, it's not your lifetime. Um, and maybe I need to do my lifetime one because I wouldn't have seen some of these players play. Um, so I'm going off like footage and... Uh, reading and, and history and, and generally what the consensus is but it's a bit of crack the BBC were doing it and I decided to just lob it up there on Twitter yesterday and, and people have their own reaction there's no right or wrong answer to this lads so so it's it's players that have played in a World Cup finals yeah yeah, and, and, and performed at a World Cup finals like Paolo Maldini is one of the best left backs that's ever been but did he really have an impact on the World Cup no Lionel Messi's not in my team because he hasn't really had a huge impact on the World Cup to dislodge say Pele or Maradona or um, so what's your 11? Ronaldo Nazario. So um, I'll go through it here if I have it on my tweet. Um, excuse me for one second. No problem. It's, um, um, is, this is like a, the countdown music, isn't it? Or, a bit of elevator or, music or, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or kind of like a drum roll or something Speaking like that. Speaking of Jeopardy, uh, we've got yeah, Jeopardy yeah, right here yeah, right now. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So here we go. Okay. So Levi Ashton in goal. Um, Carlos Alberto of Brazil, 1970, right back. Uh, Gatano Shirea of Italy, 1982, and Franz Beckenbauer, my uh, my centre backs. Actually, going to go for because John Brennan from the Sunday World pointed this out, and I kind of agree with him. I'm probably going to go for Paul Breitner at left back over Roberto Carlos, but it's a tough one. Then uh, Lothar Mateus as the holder. Um, in the you need one of those types of players in the middle of the park with Zinedine Zidane, uh, Johan Cruyff, Maradona, Pele, and Ronaldo Nazario, the original Ronaldo, the phenomenon. Hard to argue. That's my team. The only probably the only change I would make is Beckenbauer out and Gary Breen in <laughs> potentially for that. Uh, for We'd that. Do you have anything there? That you, ah no, listen. It's it's of such a um, the the lifetime one or tournaments attended one. I think would be an yeah, interesting yeah, one to do. Yeah. But it's just you'd spend you'd take two weeks off, genuinely, <laughs> to sit down and, and do. Still it, leave people out. because like I think that. I think what you've done the right thing there, which is like the temptation is just to go with the biggest names and lash them in. But actually, what sort of impact did they have when they played at World Cups is yeah, probably the better yeah, question. Yeah, Vava, Garincha, you've all these players that have had huge impacts that were Paolo Rossi, um, Zico, you know, you, even back to the 1930s. And then like you start to look at the likes of a, a Scalacci who had well, not much of a career outside of that, but like an unbelievable World Cup. Yeah, like, and, and very rare that he won both the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball. Mm. So he won both the top scorer and the player of the tournament. Yeah, incredible uh, achievement. In, in 1990, um, which is quite well documented on that Italian 90 documentary that Sky have done. They interview him and his father. It's quite nice. Um, I can't get enough of it, lads. I can't get enough of the nostalgia. Mm. Um, there's even a podcast, apparently, at the moment that's doing Every Day of Spain, 82. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's the, the FIFA Uncovered is very, very good, if anybody wants to watch that. It's a great accompaniment to the World Cup. I, that's a slightly odd thing to say, but I've been watching it sort of ep- an episode every every other day, every couple of yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. And it's great just to remind yourself yeah. of all the other yeah. stuff that's going on. What, was, yeah. what were your first World Cups in terms of definitely remembering and following? Oh, 80, 86, Maradona. Same, yeah, Maradona, 86. Yeah. Um, and I had... Um, Do you have the, the sticker book? And yeah, the, sticker uh, book. I was just yeah. going to say that, yeah. 
didn't fill it now. Oh, yeah. But um, it was I'd my love fir- to, I'd love to. F- I saw uh, Mick O'Keefe, a uh, friend of the show, former Dublin footballer, yeah. uh, on Twitter the other day. Former his, schoolmate of mine, his, by the way. Really? No way. Yeah, so. Had his uh, had his binder out, and I uh, just a flood of memories. I'd love to be able to find uh, <laughs> find the one that I had. It was. I had a FIFA idea. There were loose pages that you'd turn over, like you know the production that you get now of like this amazing book that was yeah. like you know that would, is going to last a thousand years. This was like um, a ring binder. Wasn't it? And you flip the pages over and then you... you uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. Was, I think yeah, the only there. sticker book I ever found, I don't know if it's behind there somewhere, I had a Premier League 04 or something sticker book that I managed to complete in its entirety, which was no mean feat. Did you, you, have, to, did you have to send away for the last tenor? I think? I think I might have had to... Steal or dupe made sort of... The pa- I think the parents were... Uh, went through a lot of money probably right. buying stickers. <laughs> okay. And then you're in school with the with the elastic band around them and you're swapping, <laughs> swap, keep, swap, keep. Class. Just like trying to trying to find out which ones you have, and which ones you don't. Um, but the World Cup albums were unbelievable. Like, yeah, you nearly remember some names because of the World Cup teams. Well, it's a great education for anybody, any young lad or any young girl who wants to get into. And hopefully, the Women's World Cup they're going to have them next year. Mm. There is uh, talk about Panini doing that. Yeah. yeah, I think Phil's book is somewhere behind me. Is it here? Phil's nineteen ninety book. That's it there, up there. You, yeah. yeah, I would I would grab it, but I'd end up <laughs> I'd end up knocking the cup. I know for a fact. Uh, like, though, but those World Cup books are just like I'm sure there's kids right now who the sticker books for guitar. It costs about eight hundred quid to a grand to fill them. <laughs> is it? Is that right? Yeah. Um, and so I didn't fill 86, but I, I just, uh, and then I kind of cheekily, I shouldn't have done this, but I got into trouble for it. I went up the following season to get bread and milk and I bought a, a Daily Mirror sticker pack um, for the 86, 87 season. And then that kind of steamrolled from there. I filled Panini 89. I had to send away for uh, the, the, uh, the thing that I, so there's like the match attacks are the, are the thing now like one. for kids and they're like right. accumulating these for, the, for, for European for club football. And um, my young fella is like not even six and he's mad obsessed with them. But they're fairly confusing because it used to be just you get the sticker card and maybe there was like a captain card or maybe there was like a most valuable player card mm. type thing. They have a card for everything now. The it's shiny like, ones, the shiny gold ones. Yeah, or hat, the hat-trick hero, they have like... There's too oh, many. It sounds like the top trumps for the just uh, say current top generation. Trumps. That was brilliant. Um, there was the cowboy one. I really liked the cowboy one. Wyatt Earp or Jesse James. Um, and then there was trucks uh, and cars. There was. Um yeah, top trumps. Jesus, top trumps, John. I'm after getting just a wave of nostalgia. That's a, yeah, that's yeah. a trend I can get behind. But the football top trumps were. That's an easy win. You can. Probably, I'm, I'm sure they're still. I'm sure they're still, there's only only fields and horses top trumps. Is there? Notorious serial killers top trumps. There's Guinness World Records cricket Peaky blinders. Notorious there, there's top trumps serial for killers top trumps. <laughs> I mean, like what the hell? <laughs> there's something for everyone. Um, um, yeah, madness. Yeah, '86 was the first one. I mean, it, it, it really illuminated my childhood because uh, you know Ireland was really, really in a bad place at the time, and uh, you're getting you know small TV and the, these like mm. beautiful images of Mexico and this like sunny place and being beamed into your living room like it was just incredible. And then Italian '90 happened, and that's what the World Cup's been all about. But the Spain World Cup in '82, for anybody looking at the footage, you just there was so many dramatic points that tournament and uh, if it does go there in 2030 it'll be, it'll be definitely good it's a good place to host the tournament I think a lot of people my age will be 2002 was the one where you had the TV being rolled into the classroom yeah, yeah. Robbie Keane's wheels. moment and yeah, yeah. I, I remember distinctly I can't remember exactly what time the England-Brazil quarter-final kicked off or was it last 16 um, but I remember it was like it was clashing with the start of school or the first hour of school and uh, we weren't. We were told the day before. No, the TV's not being rolled out for the England Brazil game. But I was thinking, I have to watch this game. This is going to be a cracker. So I, I stayed at home. Myself and one other lad in the class stayed at home, watched the game, came in late. That like everyone jealous. I remember walking in like a king in the classroom <laughs> at about at the wee break. And at the 11. teacher's not like what? Teacher's like, where were you? And I was like, oh, 
I, I mean, wasn't feeling great. I'm fine now. Yeah, yeah, I was honest with them. I think I was watching the match. Come on. So they understood. It was the World Cup. I mean, uh, parent teacher made me fun after that. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, but but you can't miss those. I don't regret, I don't regret that whatsoever. But that, that moment where the TV was rolled in for the Germany game and and the whole classroom went buck mad for for the equalising goal from. Robbie I missed Keane. the goal. I was recording a bulletin on today. If I the time. <laughs> I was watching it in a pub in, that I was working in in New Zealand. And yeah, it was, it's uh, amazing it's what like people's life stories incredible. and you know and you're what nine or ten chain you know yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, that's why. That's why I guess that's the awkward thing about this World Cup is that kids who are nine or ten don't care and don't know about the the background story until they're older. They won't know the I guess the the filth behind this World Cup and why it's in this country and why it shouldn't have been in this country. It's outrageous. The, even the time of the year that it's at, these kids have missed the World Cup yeah. because they're in school. You know well, that never like, came to me. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, and like. They're getting to see the evening games and that's it. Ah, they are, and they'll see the weekend matches and stuff like that. But it's like, I don't know, even in our house, I don't feel like our younger kids are, our two younger kids are match crazy. They'll go to anything. They'll, whatever's going, they want to go to it. But I'm not really talking to them too much about the World Cup for yeah. the reasons that you've just outlined. I think it's, yeah, it's a fair point. Uh, John, great stuff as always. All right, guys, thank you. 14 minutes past nine, just time to bring it. There's one other story that's uh, kind of emerged in the last uh, number of minutes. Matteo Bonato, the uh, Ferrari team principal in Formula One, has resigned after their failed title bid this year. He's been at the helm of Ferrari since 2019. Uh, promising start, of course, to this uh, 2022 season, but failed to claim a win in the final 11 races of the Campaigns. We'll leave the role on New Year's Eve. No real surprise. Uh, Ferrari had an absolute mare. Uh, you had Charlotte Clare and Carlos Sainz, who are two of the best drivers in the grid. Um, but a lot of per... Uh, Per team tactical choices, uh, per pit stops, and just issues with the team itself uh, that caused the clearance signs. Or pit to, to stops, as in they took too long, or they were too long, bad and, calls. and almost sometimes making the wrong call to bring the car into pit. Enough, yeah. So uh, I think. Uh, and does that rest solely with him, or is that like a? Oh, well, he's team principal. I suppose it's it's. I mean, buck stops with the, the, the top guy. So I mean, look, it's not just him. There's of course engineers and chief engineers below him that are probably <laughs> culpable as well. But I mean, for a team like Ferrari to with a car as fast as it should have been this year uh, and everyone before the before the year was like oh, this is the car that's going to challenge Max Verstappen Hamilton's kind of gone but I mean I, I think he had to resign to his hair will be missed from the grid it will and from Drive to Survive he was Super one of those hair. for anyone who is unfamiliar he was the guy with glasses and the curly black hair uh, lovely Italian accent so uh, yeah Mattia Bonato gone there's one other bit of news there I see Jurgen Klinsmann has apologised uh, sorry I see Jurgen Klinsmann has issued a statement in relation to the comments he made that people will be familiar with um, when he was on the BBC I think it was um, around the Wales Iran game he says my comments on the Wales v Iran game were purely football related I was talking about their culture he says unfortunately this was taken out of a footballing context I have many Iranian friends and was always full of compliments for their people culture and history I wish them only the best for the tournament I have many Iranian friends I mean even the Mm. it's a little bit on the old Tom Deaf side there but strange yeah yeah, sets up the yeah, I guess the USA Iran game. Yeah. Uh, plenty of talking points off and on the pitch for that game this evening. Uh, OTBM at nine sixteen a.m. this morning. Brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Here's what we've got on OTB Sports Radio for you today. From one o'clock, it's OTB Gold. Speaking of Formula One, with Nigel Mansell. Three o'clock, it's Dadcast. From four p.m., we have a career retrospective interview with Paul McShane. Uh, OTB Gold with Jason Sherlock is at six o'clock, and then of course the show is live. From 7pm this evening with Joe Malloy. You can follow OTB across all our social channels. Subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the very best in the latest sports content. Up next, the Ballyhill Shamrocks and Kenny Herling star Adrian Mullen will be on the line back after this. OTB AM. 18 minutes past nine on uh, this Tuesday morning's OTB AM. Some other news that's uh, just come in uh, in the last number of moments. Colo Torre has been named the new Wigan Athletic Manager on a three and a half year deal.
surprising enough news. Wow, yeah, yeah. I didn't know he was in the in the mix for that sort of thing. At least at they've got their uh, their song uh, ready to go. Anyway, maybe he brings yeah yeah in as uh, his assistant. Yeah, interesting to see what he does with uh, with James McLean, of course, uh, over at Wigan. Uh, delighted to uh, welcome on the line on this uh, Tuesday morning the uh, Kenny and uh, Ballyhill Shamrocks hurler Adrian Mullen. Morning, Adrian. How are things? Good morning, lads. How are you? Keeping well. We're keeping well. Uh, another good win in the the Leinster Club Championship at the weekend against uh, against Nace. A closer game for large swathes of that match than, than a lot of people expected, I guess. Adrian and Nace made a mockery of those nine to eleven odds pre-match. Yeah, exactly. Um, nine you know, to one, I should say. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose in the first half, um, you know, uh, there was periods there where they were well on top of us, and um, you know they could have uh, banged in a few goals there in the first, I'd say, ten minutes, but. Uh, no, thankfully uh, Dean Mason was on top of his game, like so he he kept he kept him out. But uh, yeah, no, it was very very tough uh, first half, and um, I suppose we just pulled away then in the second half. I suppose you, was it strength and depth? Was it maybe the the extra layers of fitness you you have going into this year that kind of helped you push on in the second half, or or a combination of a few things? Um, yeah, no, I say it was a combination of a few things. Um, you know, because we went we obviously went in the half time. I think was it level or we were a pint up and. Um, you know, we, we weren't playing well at all. So I think at halftime, we probably corrected a few things and um, went out in the second half. And, you know, I suppose we we probably hurled a bit more to our potential, like in the second half. Um, and, you know, kept kept taking over the points. And then obviously the the goals came with um, Owen Cody and, and Joey Cody as well. So that gave us a, a right boost. So you're five in a row with Kenny Senior Hurling Champions. You're going for five in a row Leinster titles. You'll, of course, face uh, Kilmacode Crokes, as we've been uh, speaking about already this morning on, on, on the show in the, uh, the Leinster Decider. Uh, like, how do you keep motivated year on year, Adrian, when, you, when, you're, when you're so dominant? Complacency is always at risk, I guess, for, with any team of setting in, but are there ways in which you manage to, to kind of sit down at the start of the, start of the year and, and get rid of any potential remnants of complacency? Um, well, I suppose... A lot of that is down to the management as well. You know, they they kind of keep us hungry, um, and they they obviously don't let the complacency uh, sink in with us. Like so, a huge amount of that is down to the management, and obviously we have uh, we have I suppose leaders on the team as well who uh, who you know keep the keep the ball rolling as well. Like you know, and you have probably likes Joy Hall and Colin and TJ who've done it all in the game, and when when you see those lads are, are still as hungry as ever, you know. Um, they kind of bring the, you know, say the younger lads on on as well, like so. Um, yeah, when we're looking at them and you know they're they're mad to win, um, it kind of feeds into us as well. It's amazing the the family links to to your Ballyhill squad. I guess it's no surprise at club level that there's going to be there's going to be families there. Like you, you, your cousins are, are Michael and Colin, Colin Fenley as well. So I, I'd imagine from a young age, you're tapping into those lads and and uh, I guess utilizing their experience to to help yourself. Oh, hundred percent, yeah. Um, no, uh, but when I was a young lad, um, I suppose Colin and, and Mick were were winning all Ireland's with Ballyhill and Kilkenny, like so. You know, to have have those uh, lads to look up to, and then obviously I got to play with the, play with them as well. Played with Mick for um, a couple of years, and still play with Colin. So um, yeah, those they they were huge uh, for me when I was younger. Um, you know, I, I've often said, say nights before all Ireland's, I used Colin to the house, and you know if. When you have lads going going up to Crow Park the next day and calling into your house the night before, like it's it's uh it's obviously gonna drive you on to I suppose um try be like them as well. So um that was a huge help. You probably have them on a pedestal as well. Like at a young age you're looking at them going, Well, am I ever gonna get to that point? Yeah, um I suppose that that, that makes you 
um, become a, be- a better player as well because you know when you're thinking am, am I going to ever do what they do um, you know it really drives you on um, and you know it really makes you work work for it as well um, and you know I think that makes you become a better player looking up to those lads and trying to do what they do you have the three brothers on the on the Valley Hill team with just Darren Patrick and uh, and Kevin. Where, where do you come in the in the group in terms of age? Um, so yeah, the oldest is Patrick, and then you have Kevin, then you have Darren, then I'm the fourth. So and you have the fourth uh, oldest. The uh, the like positionally, are you all in different areas of the pitch? Were you in the back garden, like playing in different positions growing up, or did you all have uh, have ambitions to be to be uh, banging the ball over the bar? I guess. Um, yeah, no, I suppose you have uh, two back, uh, Kevin and Darren are probably the backs in the family, and then uh, Patrick plays midfield, but he's always kind of a forward growing up, and then um, I was more of a forward as well, although I played in the backs there when I was younger, but uh, no, I always kind of imagine myself as, as a forward as well, so, um, you know, the, the, the matches in the back garden were interesting back in the day, so... There's no holding back when it comes to sibling rivalries. Like I can speak to that. Um, like, I, I remember the 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 dreaded cruciate, and we were talking about cruciates on the show already this morning. But February 2020 national league game against Clare, um, and and I know even which is quite remarkable. I don't know if there's genetics linked to this. I'm not a scientist, but yeah, your brother Darren suffered cruciate uh, injury twice as a teenager. Patrick had a similar setback in, in 20, 2017. So you've all had that um, heartbreak of the SEL. Yeah, it's it's actually a weird one that I suppose you all did, it, uh, but look, I, I don't think it, I don't think it runs in the family. I think maybe we were just uh, unlucky, and uh, you know, Darren did his when he was fourteen, did his first one when he was fourteen, and second one when he was sixteen. Um, so you know, for him to come back from from two of those was obviously unbelievable. Um, uh, work that he that he put into it, like um. And, you know, I, I probably had them to kind of tap into as well when I was doing my, my rehab and learn from them as well. So, um, yeah, no fair play to them. Do you get to lean on, on sports psychologists when you, when you, when you have an ACL? Cause it strikes me as something that when you're involved in, in the, the Hell for Leather Championship with Club Or County, you're, it's almost like a part of your identity that your whole year has almost been molded around what happens with your club and what and with the county and fixtures so like is it, is it must be tough mentally as well as physically to to cope with that I'm, I'm sure you have support systems there to, to kind of help you get through those those tough days yeah no um, it was unbelievably uh, tough mentally um, I, I could actually say it was tougher mentally than it was physically um, but I probably did my cruelty at a bad time um, it was during Covid so you know I had no access to to one on one um Psychologists are not even getting into the gym or stuff like that. Like so, um, no, I, I I think psychologists when 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 any player gets injured, I think psychologists would be a huge help to him. But uh, I obviously I unfortunately didn't have the chance to speak to anyone, and you know I'd I'd recommend um, for anyone who does get an injury like that to probably you know talk to someone because you know it is it is very mentally tough. Like and um, as I said, it's probably more mentally challenging than it is physically challenged. 
Um, Adrian, we've uh, been chatting about you a good bit on the show over the last couple of years. Tommy Welsh, when I heard you were coming on, it was a Tommy Welsh comment that jumped out for me when he was on. Um, I can't remember exactly, but it might have been 18 months ago, two years ago, and he was a, a massive fan of yours when you started to sort of come on the radar. And, and like, just it struck me, just given the quality of some of the names that we've mentioned already, some of them are your relations, and the quality of the players that have come through Kilkenny over the years. Um, have you... Do you take, like, you're still very young in your career, do you take much of an opportunity to chat to some of the greats that have been there? Um, maybe the likes of Henry might be sort of slightly off the radar at the minute, but are there, are there any of those players that you've been able to lean on or chat to or watch back? Or, yeah, given, given the lineage of amazing players in your position that have come through Kilkenny? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I spoke to a few over, over, the, few, over the years, um, and obviously I got to play with a few, uh, a few of the greats over, mm. the, over the years with uh the club and county like so um yeah you definitely learn off those lads um you know i had uh one year i think i had uh henry dj and uh brian cody over me in the same year so um obviously you're going to learn a, a fair bit off, off those three lads um so yeah no they're they're a huge help what was henry like to could like could you could you sit with him and go because i know like certain players we talked to ronan agar a fair bit at the show and he says he doesn't want to talk to his out halves too much about that specific thing but could you like is he proactive coming up to you giving you pointers are you chasing him up how does that work um well yeah i don't want to get into too much about henry because uh obviously he's gone elsewhere but uh yeah no he, he was unbelievable and um no he's, he was an unreal manager and a person to have around the club like so um, yeah, no, he's class. He's all, he's all, he's all swimming in the WhatsApp group when the, the Shefflin Cody handshake incident happened. Like, I mean, storming a teacup for some people, but I mean, it was one of those moments where I'm sure the players are kind of sitting back going, ah, oh, this is, it's interesting. It adds a bit of spice to the games, I suppose. Yeah, I, I don't think there was much in it, though, to be honest. Um, obviously, for the players looking on, we didn't get in, too much involved in it. Like, so um, I think that was up for the, that was for the kind of media and the, and the, the spectators to kind of talk about, but uh, we didn't get involved in it too much. And you know, I, I'm sure the two, the two, uh, Brian and Henry, um, would say the same that there was there wasn't much in it. Now, to be honest, do you remember when you when you first got that call from from Brian Cody? Because look, it's a, it's the end of an era now when he's when he's no longer in in charge. But when you got that first call from him to to either join the the setup, the training setup, or to to get into the squad fully, like what was what was going through your head? Because I'd imagine that's that's a that's a, that's a big moment in your life. Yeah, um, it's a huge moment, I suppose, because you know, you're always dreaming of, of getting that call. And um, you know, we had a, a good run with uh, the club that year. And uh, he, he rang me, I'd say, late December, early January to um, come in when, when the club is over. So, uh, no, that was that was unreal to get that, that call. Um, and especially off such a... Such a legend of the game as well, like um, so. Yeah, no, I was, I was buzzing when I got that call. Who's the first person you talked to? Um, I think I was, I was actually in the, in the library at, at the time. Uh, we had exams, so I was in the library, and um, I just got this call. Uh, you know, I didn't have the number saved or anything, so I didn't know who it was. So I took the call anyway, and sure, all the lads were around me. So um, yeah, no, it was a few of the friends there in the library. I heard first. Jeez, that's an awful place to get a call like that where you just want to start jumping up and down. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And you, you don't know whether to take it serious at the time either. You don't know if it's uh, if it's lads messing with yeah. you or whatever. So, um, yeah, no, you have to let it sink in for, for a couple of minutes first. Do you celebrate that? Like, it strikes me, if you're a young, young lad and you get called into the team, you want you want to celebrate moments like that. And even, you know, winning an all-star like this year and stuff. I know the individual gongs and honours probably 
mean more to you when when you retire at some point and looking back in your career. But it must be nice at the time to 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 get recognised, whether it's the call up to the team for the first time or whether it's an all star. Um, yeah, no, it's obviously it's a you know you you say it's a team game, but obviously these individual awards are are nice to have as well. And um, I think you know in in the at the in the moment you you have to enjoy these moments as well. Like so, um, yeah, no, there are definitely things you know that I'm no I'm happy about and. You know, I I do celebrate him, I suppose. TJ Reid, um, I think he's 35 years of age at the minute and, you know, scored 1-6 last weekend in that win over Nace. Uh, same week same week as the uh, birth of his first child, so a big, big week for TJ. But, um, I mean, Edron Jesus, he, he just keeps he just keeps performing year on year, doesn't he? He's, he's showing no signs of stopping. Yeah, it's it's actually it's fairly ridiculous what he's doing, you know. It's uh, it's unbelievable to look at. Um and I suppose it's it's a credit to him the way he keeps himself so fit and and strong, and you know match ready like um because to do that at 35 years of age and you know be the main man for for so many of the games as well like um it's it's unbelievable um I don't, I don't know how he's doing it to be honest but uh yeah no it's it's probably down to um just the shape he keeps himself in and you know he's always just ready to go. I'm always fascinated by these um. Iconic players and, and hearing the insights for what they're like in training. I remember listening to some of the Kilmacud lads talking about uh, just Shane Walsh and how ridiculous he's been in training sessions and lobbing keepers and all this sort of stuff. But like, what what's TJ like in training? Um, when when he does train, he's he's on he's unbelievable. <laughs> um, we're we're um, I suppose we probably it's not that we take it for granted, but some of the things he he does in training, uh, we're, we're nearly used to at this stage. So um, I say if. If anyone else, any outsider was looking on and they seen some things that, that he does in training, they, they'd, you know, they, I'd say they wouldn't be able to believe it. Like, but uh, we're probably so used to it at this stage that when he does something, you know, you nearly expect him to do it. Like, when you're when you're in St Kieran's College and and like that's such an iconic place steeped in history in Kilkenny, Hurling as well, um, one of the great schools and and created so many top players, including yourself, but. When you're a kid walking through the wall, the, the hallways, and you're, you're seeing photographs of some of the former pupils and, and lads who've gone on to win multiple All Irelands, like that must that must be must be quite a quite a feeling. It, it probably highlights just how much you want to, to break through and, and wear the black and amber for the first time. Yeah, um, obviously, so many uh, greats of the game have, have gone through Kieran's uh, College, like so. You know, there's a there's a hall in in Kieran's called the Glass Hall, and uh, you know it's it's covered in photographs of uh, former players and uh, you know sometimes most of the time you'd nearly be late for class because you're just glued to the walls uh, looking at all these past players like and just kind of imagine yourself being up there like so um, you know I think the probably the culture around Kieran's um, you know is huge to the development of the players How do you have you have you been back I'm sure you've uh, your own photograph is no doubt on the walls in, in Kieran's now have you have you had the chance to get back and speak to, to students at any stage or, or has that not come around yet? Um, yeah, no, I'm not sure if uh, my photograph is anywhere on the walls yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be there someday. Um, but no, I, I haven't been, you know, in there too much. Um, I, I keep in contact with a few a few of the teachers that were there all right, but um, no, I haven't got a chance to go in and, t- and talk to the students anyway. Uh, Adrian, finally for me, um, Limerick and their dominance. Uh, <laughs> How how do you go about coping with 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 a team of of their strength because they've come through and created a team now that that's 
a team of an era and uh, and yet you've got yourselves and other counties breathing down their necks uh, trying to knock them yeah. off that that perch but can can you like how do how do you how do you line up against uh, Limerick at the moment like do you see weaknesses in, in in the team at all or is it just a case of you know on on your day you have to get everything 100% right in order to beat them yeah no Limerick are a serious outfit and um you know they've they've set the bar so high joined in the last few years and it's probably up to the the chase pack um to to reach those levels as well um but look i i, I believe any any day you go onto the hurling pitch um anyone can beat anyone like so um it's all about on the day really and um you know who performs to the to the highest level will usually come out on top and um you know they've obviously been so good the last few years and and it's just up to us to to reach those levels and what about the Croaks game obviously it's like you've sort of proven that you can win it whichever way you want to win it a uh, bit of a slow start obviously the last day and you managed to bat that to one side and, and come back which probably gives you a confidence in another guard as well but uh, Croaks obviously been knocking on the door a little bit over the last couple of years uh, and should be another belter I'm sure you're uh, deep in preparation for them already yeah no um, it'll be an extremely tough game um, you know, they have forwards there who would make any team in the country, you know. So, um, you know, they have, they're dangerous in, in their own way. And, um, look, we'll just get ourselves ready over the next week and, uh, you know, we'll analyse them in the next in the next few days. But, uh, you know, we probably have to reach a new level um, because obviously the last, the last day, the first half wasn't good enough. So, um, you know, we can't let that happen to us again because, you know, Kilmacud will blow us out of the water if that happens to us. Adrian, you've been very good with your time. Uh, listen, best of luck in the final against uh, Kilmacud Croaks and thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers, lads. Thanks a million. Christoph. Adrian Mullen there, Ballyhill, Shamrocks, Ankle Kenny. Uh, 9.35am on this Tuesday morning, 2pm. A few of the comments coming in on the YouTube channel as well. Bob Dwyer saying, great to hear Clavan back on OTB between last night with Joe and this morning with you lads. Seems like one of the nicest men in football. Only when he's not giving you dogs abuse appearances can be deceiving <laughs> that's what you're about to say there isn't it <laughs> yeah I know Caban's a lovely man I know Adrian and Kevin have their have their lovely on air on air battles which I quite enjoy uh, Shifty Lads says Foden wouldn't flourish with the likes of Southgate Trent should play with Kyle Walker right of the three Southgate manages like a defender which is maybe a fair point um, also says the referee for the penalty I think genuinely didn't make his mind up until he walked back over to the box they usually point within a couple of seconds I think oh, that was Bruno Fernandes uh, one we're talking about last night um, yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to see the the England starting team today. Like that's mm. it'll kind of give us an indication because there is something to still play for, and they they want to kind of they would have taken this position before the before the tournament. You know, yeah. win and a draw, and you go into the last game knowing a win tops the group. Yeah, like people are ringing the death knell for England after the draw with USA. Ah, it's not know, quite. And it's probably too early for that. I was interested in coming to you earlier on about sort of the general state of where we're at, and I do think that the teams that we are talking about have been at the top end of it: Brazil, France, Spain. Um, I'm probably missing one or two there, but there's, outside of that group, I think that's where your winner's going to come from. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's too many. I don't think England really in the mixer. I think that obviously, I think Henderson comes in today, doesn't he? You think that's yeah. been confirmed almost already? But I think, to be honest with you, no matter. Uh, hopefully, he does give Foden a start, and we get to look at him, and and mm. and he can sort of lay down the marker what he's all about, and that'd be great. But I think no matter what England team put out, to be honest with you, like unless Bale has suddenly been like hiding his uh, abilities, his 2022 abilities under a bushel. I think no matter what team they put out, they're going to get it done. Yeah, they'll get over the line. You'd imagine uh, the Wales team are just brutal. Although I, I mean, you are a, you been. are a 
adopted Wales man for the You're for a the bucket, bucket hat man. I do, yeah. I'll keep the socks on for the afternoon for the match. Uh, Adrian, great stuff. Cheers, we'll, uh, of course, check back in on Friday when we'll be swapping seats on uh, OTBM. Uh, brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. OTBM, back tomorrow morning with Jer and myself in studio. Brent Pope joins us to select the best 15 players he played against. News Talks Courts correspondent Frank Rainey will provide an update on the Regency trial. We'll, of course, have the latest on the World Cup, plus much more besides. Right now, we're leaving you with Dan McDonald's. You had to be there. Enjoy and see you tomorrow. Good luck. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.